0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Crash Chords Podcast! Yep. Yeah.
1: Woo! uh yeah. Enthusiasm. Uh-huh. Lots of enthusiasm.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, that sounded
1: fake as hell. <laughs>
0: yeah, it really did. I'm we're thoroughly th- enthused. <laughs> sure you are. We're back. I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Steve. Um, some quick stuff up front. I kind of really want to get right into the album because there's a lot to chew on, but... Um, I want to, we're in a new month, it's March, this is our first episode of March, and I want to talk about our March guest, which is going to be our further quest to have the Wasties on individually, as I previewed before. And many a time. We are having Robert on this week, he's going to bring us uh, an album, by. he's already chosen it, um, but I will save that for the week before. But um, he's already chosen his album, and he's also going to play some
1: stuff from his other band, The Rose West, on the show live acoustically, as well as a Wasty song as well. So, like Painless Parker last week, would Robert also refer to him as a polybanderous individual? Yes,
0: he's in okay. the same bands that um, Noam is in, except for Painless. Pain- oh. oh, actually, no, he is in that band, because when they played with multiple people, then he was... Yeah. Oh,
1: well, then they're just, okay. Yeah, they're... They're, they're the poly... Banders. Same... Polyhamabanderous... Poly what, who? P- Polihamabanderous. No, it's Polybanderus. No, Polihamabanderous. Poly- polyhamab- Polihamabanderous. As in, oh, oh, the, oh, as gotcha. in they, like the homogenous. same. Gotcha. They and he the is
0: Polybanderus, but they are Polyhamabanderus. Yes, yes. Got it. You have to it's write nice. that down, because that's a great word.
2: That's a really cool word. He's building like on the it. word
0: that, he's, he's building on what Noam created, because I believe he came up with Polybanderus. They had a bingo card at one of Steampunk World's I'm good fairs at furthering existing for the, three band. bands. three or four bands. Okay. Um, so, Robert will be joining us at the end of the month, so I'm excited about that. Um, mostly also because I'm a huge fan of the Rose West. They do some really great stuff. And so I'm glad that we'll be able to bring some of that on the show. Um, the other thing I want to promote is St. Patrick's Day this year, March 17th. We are having a cross-section of bands mentioned and guests. Um, WayStation is doing a great, big St. Paddy's Day show that they always do with the Wasties. But this year, Three Pints Shy are opening for them, who are also a very Irish-influenced band. Uh, couldn't tell. And The Rascals and Rogues, which Joe uh, Rude is a part of. All three of those bands are playing together. They have song overlaps from the um, classic Irish tunes that they've done, some more traditional stuff. They have overlaps, so it's going to be one band, another band, the third band, and then the final set will be a giant jam session with all three bands, which is going to be a lot of fun. So don't miss that. I will be there. Um, I guess this is a good place to pass it over to John, who's brought us our album this week.
1: John.
2: This week, I have brought something I hoped would be a little unusual, and it did pan out that way. Kangding Ray, a band, not a band, a musician. I heard about through the grapevine of electronica, random stuff I was searching up online. He is sort of self-proclaimed, sort of lumped into the idea of cinema, uh, cinegraphic electronica, cinographic or cinematic. Cinematic, cinographic, of something Okay. Um, a sinful guy. Right. A combination of real club orientation, but brought down to a more ambient level. So it's an unusual idea. It's done in the realm of electronica. And from the first time I heard uh, Solon's art, because this one I've been listening to for almost a month now. That's the album name, by the way. <laughs> I was hooked. I was thoroughly hooked on it. It was... Uh, something that I found myself immediately just going back to other bands we've already done, such as uh, Boards of Canada, Board of Tomorrow's Canada. Overs, sure. Uh Apex Twins. Apex Twins. Oh, Apex, Apex. Twins. There is a P, but it's fex. What's yeah. with your words today? <laughs> uh, Apex Twins. It uh, was going back to even even stuff like Evergreen, just the more orchestral orientation, ambient type of music we've been listening to. The theme music, the
1: setting music. Well, for those listening, we reviewed Boards of Canada, Tomorrow's Harvest back in episode 54, and Aphex Twin back in uh, his album Zero back in episode 126, which was not all that long ago. And both are techno in their own right, but of course, you know, Boards of Canada goes back to a more ambient side, tends to be slower, tends to be more severe. And then Aphex Twin, I think, is a little more from an art techno perspective but it's more upbeat you know you can group along to it it has kind of like this little little funk unifier I think that's how I referred to it several times in that episode and you know these are the different spectrums that techno can give you so what was interesting, where does he follow? that's the whole thing he's more of a middle ground between these two ideas
2: um, and that's what I latched onto. to that's, that's where I'm making the comparisons but also the contrast it was interesting to see something that was kinda in the realm of both and not really committing to one or the other. That's why I decided, got to review
1: this one. All right. I, I've been talking about this up for, for months with off the air, but got to review this one. Well, let me point out that the guy's name is David Letelier, and he was born in France in 1978, lives and works in Berlin. I think he's French-born, uh, German-raised, perhaps, or German-moved. He lives in Germany. Anyway, <laughs> he's studying graduated uh, architecture in Rene, France, and Berlin. He's kind of got the... visual angle, he's got the architectural, for 3D angle, and then he's also got the music angle. So he's interested in, from a a pretty broad standpoint, we've we've got a lot of uh, bases covered here. But this is specifically from his website right here. David Letellier focuses on the perception of sound and space on the edge of architecture, sound, and art. His work ranging from audio-visual performances, sound installations, to autonomous machines and conceptual drawings, can be defined as an attempt to express sound as a form in movement. I find that absolutely fascinating, and certainly all areas of his education has served to support this. Uh,
2: his art pieces, which he actually has different from the Kang Ding Ray work, um, are frankly, like, scary cool-looking, scary ideas of... Uh, physical objects that are shaping as they're producing sound, or just throw it out there, pieces of uh, movable materials interacting with one another in an audio sense. That he brings to the Kang ding Ray work. In fact, when he first created this album and put it online, for Solon's arc he, he created a little bit of a blurb. And I'm going to read that now because I think it captures his idea fairly well. A stone throw just to watch it fly, a projectile launched for the sole purpose of drawing a ballistic trajectory in the sky. The Solon's arc is what remains after the subtraction of the goal, a simple parabolic curve defined by gravity, impulse, and starting angle. No target to hit, no catharsis to wait for, just the beauty of the flight. The arc is the purpose in the form of four variations constructed from disintegrated melodic textures and dismantled beasts. Each of the sequences are assembled seamlessly into dense, evolving compositions while keeping their autonomy and their role in the global dramaturgy. Pointillist serial loops morph into abrasive raw anthems, broken club rhythms are refitted into uneven patterns, like deconstructivist sound architectures. Industrial techno-stompers dissolve into granular sound waves and filtered space pads before being overtaken by cinematic drums and rising arpeggios.
1: I gotta say, I love that entire blurb. I mean, that's like I, a thesis piece or a, an opening rendition
2: from like a, a, a metro modern art piece.
1: I was saying earlier on that if, if if this let's say was like you know my my senior project, for instance, back in uh, back in music, the composition. I mean, this would be like I'd be groomed for the next postgraduate study class, or connections would be made between me and my former. Uh, uh, composition professor and he'd be like getting me, Oh yeah, you got you have to have an apprenticeship and all that. This is just it's a it's a spectacular idea. But it did bring me to an interesting, I guess, gripe that I had here. Only because, of course, you know, it's in the liner notes and because it's art and it has the explanation behind it, the explanation is for is for us as as sort of a premise going into the piece. And as I always say, well, Sometimes you don't have that. Granted, of course, if you bought the thing and you read the thing before you listened to it, then you have it and then it's in your head. But music is the kind of thing where some of these things should be not necessarily self evident, but you need to be open to the idea that impressions will take different listeners different places, as opposed to the uh as opposed to the the, the liner notes or the overall concept that the artist wants to gear us in, in such a direction. So we had an interesting discussion before we recorded about the line between the music video, for instance, and the visual art piece incorporating the audio element. And we're going to talk more about this after after the review, but certainly this is a case where we need to take taking to account impressions that one derives from music first, versus the impressions that one derives from the art first. What you just heard from John, well that's the art. We're gonna to try to gear this by addressing our interpretations as well as our interpretations through the lens of what he just read.
0: The interesting thing about his description is that when I saw the title Solon's Ark, of course because I am a sci-fi nerd, I think Solon's Ark is the name of a fleet ship or some kind of you know, spacecraft or warship. And so hearing Solon's Ark as literally an arc through an airspace
1: or an arc of momentum it was interesting. I didn't actually even think of that. A simple parabolic curve defined by gravity. I yeah. mean, that, that's, it doesn't get any simpler than that. And if, in, in a certain sense, this album will be very, very easy to, I guess, define and convey along those lines because you can see a lot of elements crop up. But again, we're going to address both sides of the coin because there are emotions that I think this album brings to the table that are and could be, to other listeners, completely separate from this entire concept. So let's begin at the beginning. Track one, The Serendipity March. Now, I find this to be a fascinating blend of benign pulsations. Somewhat industrial, it does have the character, I think, as we often refer to, like of a steel yard. Something in the distance, something metallic, something man-made. But it's as if it were viewed through a very warped lens. I mean, for one, it's it's drenched in reverb to the point where you can almost feel the humidity in the music. There's a, a coldness and With that, a stillness, but these imply all natural forces. And one of the main reasons I interpret this as industrial, which of course is man-made, goes back to that steelyard claim, like I'm just surrounded by metal and distant mechanisms driving some unseen and perhaps figurative engine. This is achieved through a combination of that heavy distortion work, which
2: creates a steamy, hazy atmosphere to it, And the echoes, the expansive echo, almost call and response with single tonal work. Mm -hmm. This gives you a distance. That combination is very dark, a little bit chilling, but definitely leaning more towards the side of charcoal as far as the color schemes goes. It's dirty, it's grimy, but it's not in such a way that it's, it's 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 not evil in
1: any sort of way. It just happens to be kind of polluted with this. Like for instance, if we go back to uh, one of the main descriptors of this band, you know, cinematic, you picture that these kinds of like um scenes. Not so much as if cinematic is going to apply, like, oh well he's he's composing in the vein of John Williams. It's not that kind of cinematic. It's in the vein of like of, of directing style itself, and that with each musical motif he's conveying these these different directing angles, and perhaps even, like, the filter on the set angle. So what John just described as, like, charcoal is almost like those um, old-fashioned 16-millimeter videos that you might use as, like, an amateur filmmaker to give, like, a, a newspaper conveyance of the color. You know, yellowing, black, sepia tone. A poor things like quality that. black and white where like everything is 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 muddy and charcoal and and, or literal, and dusty. Literal things that they do nowadays,
2: such as just if you want to do a war scene, you gotta splatter some mud on a camera lens or something like that. Yeah.
1: Something just to add a little bit of extra character to the framework in which you're working in here. Of course. And and it should be said that all of this is in just the first 20 seconds. I mean, then there's a transition in here where it introduces much more chaos. The high tones are shifted to low ones. We get ripples and this disconnecting, like kind of jarring, like radiation pulse that just takes over that suddenly lands us in the meat of of this track, which is so much more threatening. Well, because the
0: meat of the track gives much more of this kind of post-apocalyptic robotic society feel. Almost like Blade Runner, you know, the cliche ones. Not necessarily
2: ones. post-apocalyptic, but
0: definitely... Futuristic, and industrial. Severely
2: industrialized. Yeah.
0: And it also, like, these tones, like, Serendipity March... It becomes, the rhythm becomes this kind of marching feel, almost as if soldiers are marching, whether they're robotic soldiers, human soldiers. It, it's not specific, but it gives us kind of marching feel, like it's moving through this industrial it could scene. Be, it's more of a societal, in my opinion. I, I see it more that way. Purely with
2: the industrial backdrop, it's less the Great War kind of a march to me, and more of the evolution of time society moves on it becomes more and more computerized it becomes more industrialized it's less our primal nature our tribal nature
1: and more the growing society but this is definitely a cyberpunk kind of a turn funny because i had i came at this from a third angle like this is this is like to me it goes back to that directing comment again that as opposed to just the filter that you're using in your lens, I think it's also a matter of of putting you in various environments, different settings, placement of the camera. So we just described the first twenty seconds as being somewhat distant. Again, the steel yard feel; it's vast in scope, you know, and and you get the echo and, and the reverb that go that go with it. But that's just the beginning. Then the transition brings us like, directly into the heart of, of that engine that I yeah. discussed earlier. So we go from being almost on the perimeter of something broad and expansive and almost maybe deeper than you can understand. Like, the kind of machine, of course, you mentioned Blade Runner, Matt, yeah. and, you know, and there's, like, unseen forces that run that world. A futuristic world is, of course, going to be more complex than anything we can imagine, but, of course, our world is probably more complex than anything, you know, Pre-industrial societies could possibly imagine. It's that kind of just, just t- taken to this new level. When when you are in the heart of this machine, you feel overwhelmed by it all. Yeah. Much like, let's say, some you know caveman would feel if he was just dropped in the in the center of Manhattan. Like, what is this? Yeah. And I feel it, it's it's very much in that vein. I I tend to think of of the movie Metropolis, the of the silent movie Metropolis yeah. by Fritz Lang, 1927. I mean, there are some scene work there which just serve to do the same thing to those to those viewers it's just you're immersed in this environment and it, it's supposed to overwhelm you it's supposed to make you maybe aspire to it but also fear it at the same time
0: yeah and i mean musically it does that too The the tones, sounds and rhythms are very mechanical sounding and they have this kind of um rhythm that adds to that scene work. It really it really pulls you in. It's got a very strong setting, which I like, for especially for an introductory track, it's nice to have a strong setting that kind of pulls you right in.
2: And the build work, the transitions from sections are less defined, but the introduction of different elements are so nice. Just going and adding in a little bit more of a
1: high end or a little bit more of a low end or a little it's bit subtle. more of a mid level. It, it's subtle. It, it's not, subtle. It's not like transitions necessarily. You don't yeah. get more sections. He, I, I maintain that you have. He brings
2: something from the background into a forefront position that wasn't even there in the beginning.
1: It's, it's, he's drawing threads, drawing additional lines of music into his piece right. here. Which is another cinematic tactic because, of course, the thing that would, well, Govern foreground background worth is is focus. So it's like he's changing the focus on 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 this piece itself But as far as sectional work here, of course There really is no variation apart from the Mm -hmm. intro the transition and then the content itself from there You really are just looking at those individual things you get thumps you get horns you get sort of this brushing motion a very important element is the breathing which implies that apart from the overwhelming Mechanations surrounding you. There is a human labor behind this. There's a human Otherwise, art. I wouldn't expect to hear breathing of any kind.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you do stay in that for a while. I mean, it really doesn't change up after that until the end of the track. Through the meat of it, it's this, there are flourishes and there are moments, you know, where with a lot of techno artists, they will take these little beautiful moments and kind of sprinkle them through the track, which gives it some peppering. But by the time we hit the midpoint to the tail end, it gets a little repetitive.
1: We're hearing the same tones and rhythms and beat work over and over again. It, until the very end, when, in the outro, where it seems to wind down just a little bit. Not the rhythm itself, but the texture again. I, I feel like it's a little less overbearing, or like I, the listener, has just again been relocated. Just well, we, like, you know, in directing, of course, we... they. Placement is all about setting and and scene. Put me from the outside, the perimeter of the world, into the heart of the world, and now it's like the machine is just winding down.
0: Well, I equated it to using that guide work with sound in a directorial fashion. It's like Mm -hmm. you're in the heart of it, and then during this swell, and then breathe at the end. It lifts you above the city, and you see the sky above the polluted, grimy city, and you get
1: like a breath fresh air where our title would
0: scroll across the screen
1: right and know? to go along with that you get the more of like a musical bent yeah. stepping in here like for instance you know there are a lot of people who probably wouldn't describe the majority of this track as being very musical it's it's a it's it's sound art you know that's what it is it's playing around with um with 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 movement and motion just as as it was described in his uh in his write-up here but certainly toward the end he starts like layering in things that have more of a pleasing tone to them, just pleasing textures, familiar synth sounds that we hear in other techno. Um, yet I of course have to bring this back uh, to what you mentioned earlier about like you know, the, the concept of, of it feeling like a war zone, like a po- post-apocalyptic war zone. You, you were the, the first to bring that up, yeah. Matt, and apart from all the impressions that we brought up, remember we do have to consider this, as I said we were going to, in the light of both of both uh, viewpoints. Yeah. The art that was described by him in the liner notes. And that makes me think of, specifically, of that Solon's arc, The idea that there's a projectile being sent out here. And there's nothing more... Uh, nothing brings projectile to mind outside of, of, of ballistic missile of kinds. So no. I tend to... I do tend to lean, when I have that in mind, I tend to leave, lean toward this warlike environment where I should be afraid, uh, not necessarily of the machine, but of... Maybe death. Yeah.
0: And I mean also the idea that we don't know – we know that there's an industrial kind of thing. We don't know what it's making. It could be making war machines. It could be making something. So, you know, I think – and and I think we go – we get a little bit of – Sure. That's actually a very uh, astute observation. And from here we go to track two, the river, which is – the only real kind of interlude track we get on the album, we get an expansion on this later. I would, there's there's
2: more than one interlude track, but this one is most definably
0: an interlude because of its overall length. It's only 25 seconds, and it, it I mean, its its namesake suits it. It flows like a river, very but briefly. But I, I don't want to use the word interlude. I want okay. to use transition. It's a transition. It's a full track that's, it's, it's a transition that's a full track on the track list it as a transitional
2: piece um because each in in this album itself and we'll talk about this now going from 1 to 2 and then into track 2 to 3 uh the tracks are actually squared away in groupings of 3 and there is a flow from one to the next to the next outro goes straight into intro uh he blends the sounds through for these three pack arcs groupings of 3 for a total of 4
1: of four groups on yes. the album right
2: and with the river, I found this to be one of the, while short, most beautiful pieces he used uh, to really get for us moving from point to point. Yeah, the river is is lives up to its namesake. It is very appropriately named. It is, it's listening to the robot version of a babbling brook, the the robot version of flowing water. It's it's so it's moving onto itself I really well,
1: got emotional with this song see I have to withdraw from that just a little bit because it seems like we've we've replaced a little bit of that uh, that mechanized feel in this track it seems like we've we've tried to drift and this is another observation I had almost throughout this record is that is that it seems like it wants so frequently to to convey something human just like that the breathing that was straining to be heard through the previous track in track one it was almost benign it was just it was in the distance, it, it wasn't integral, but it was there and you couldn't unhear it. And here, it seems like this is lifted up a little bit, but even so, it's fleeting. This track is 25 seconds. There's, there's not so much content here, except for the breather as it serves as a transition. Um, so I found that the rhythm itself, which was not really present, it was replaced by this, these slow, broken swells uh, with like higher notes, just like, like almost piercing sounds, eh, dotting it. And then within that, you have these momentary chord changes, continuing the uh, the types of things that were present in the outro before. The outro had uh, more pleasing textures, familiar synth sounds. It's the same kind of thing here. It just it just opens it up a little bit more. It's like a melodic tone is just yearning to surge forth, but it's inhibited by mechanization. And that's that's a that's, I love that I
2: love that summation. <laughs> it's not hundred percent natural in its feel using things like broken pointed mm-hmm. precise i mean these are a lot of the adjectives you just use it's describing a little bit too sharp on the edges of just a natural idea think of a river itself it smooths down the rocks it flows through the path of least resistance even a waterfall if you look at the rocks itself is curved over it it, it hits a big pond that just spreads out in a wave but these edges are a little bit too clear cut to be fully natural and that's what really
1: keeps it fresh for me and keeps it very emotional for me for sure and um, and it does seem like it really loses out in the end because i think at the last 10 of these 25 seconds we do get the heartbeat it does start to step in there and that's the heartbeat that that once completed at the end of the 25 seconds is is the basis for the third track evento Which is clearly more upbeat. I mean, I think it it just takes that that heartbeat just up a little bit of a notch because, of course, there's other stuff here. But this is what's interesting about Avento. It was hard for me to discern whether, by saying it's upbeat, that really equates to it being psychologically more intense or more lighthearted. Because speed is kind of funny that way. Quickness implies more urgency, but with that comes, you know, the ability to dance to it. This goes back to, like, the spectrum we were talking about earlier. Like, well, if I can groove to it, then maybe it's more like the FX Twin kind of uh, zero project. So, obviously, that would add a layer of, like, enjoyment to this. But then, when you look at slowness as opposed to quickness, it's just so much more severe. Like, the first track, there's no grooving there. It's, It's existential dread through and through. It's, it's fear, and then all of a sudden I enter track three after the transition, and I don't really feel that anymore. I feel like upbeat really does mean the first instance. It means it means upbeat, and I think I found this a little less impactful for that reason. Well, it starts off beat, but it has a very muted quality
2: to it. I equated it to music being played in a separate room. You don't have the direct sound hitting your ears. It's, it's trying to break through the wall, and... As this song goes along it 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 seeps it breaks through the wall, but it doesn't actually just break through it oozes through this wall it goes in spurts, different elements are introduced as it goes along, and these become more present and then fall back and then become more present and then fall back it's not falling it's not breaking down barriers in this case it's merely making its presence more known as it goes along
0: sure it's not as strong, I feel like, of scene work, specifically focused scene work, as the first track was. Um, You get flourishes, but more or less, it's more closer to what John's
1: saying, where you don't get a specific scene, you just get this feeling, this movement. And I think it's really more the soundbite exploration than anything else. This is another one of those tracks, well, it introduces a variety of things. The texture is overall pretty similar, but we add things like vocal saying... Indiscernible things again. Yeah. That vocal just like that, straining that to be That comes in in the intro, actually, That's right in after the, intro, the kind right. of
0: beat. You get a little bit of an electronic vocal, and then it's followed by like these synth keyboard flourishes throughout the song, yeah. which are just these kind of high moments. But like
1: they don't really, they don't really give a feel like the flourishes did in the first track. In this, they're just kind of. They're regular, but that's yeah. the other thing. Like they come in, they're they're periodic interludes. So that's, they're, they're not. They don't have this freestyle element to them. Again, everything is very rigid. Everything comes down to the end to the, the the mechanization of of the album, which governs everything. Like in in this case, those those keyboard flourishes, they step in like how a song would typically divide up phrases. If this were a song, yeah. and you would have a phrase in a single, ver- you'd have perhaps four, three or four instances of that, and then there's always that breather moment. It sounds more human-like. Um, but at the same time it also has has reason behind it. It has it has organization. So phrases I don't think is so much breathing in this album. I mean sorry, in this track. I think it's really more the cyclical patterns like any machine would have. You know, there's always that it needs to follow its cycle. Every yeah. gear needs to follow the cycle, that's it. Before it passes down to the next thing. It's like an assembly line. And that's really the best way I could describe this track, and you know, assembly I mean, lines aren't the most interesting things in, in the world. <laughs>
0: I mean, well, the only time I've ever found this uh, assembly line interesting is in all of those Looney Tunes commercials where they have bum bum, ba na na na, ba ba na na, and they're like showing all the parts of the machine moving. Or the
1: machine that does nothing and use a seat, yeah. C- yeah if it's, uh... P.B. Herman did that, I think.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, And so, but on a serious note, also with this track, I felt like the first track we mentioned it getting repetitive, but it was more towards the end of the track. We were pretty much on board the whole time and we didn't really notice a repetitiveness till the end. Here, I noticed it a lot sooner because, like you said, even those flourishes became pretty regular pretty quick
1: um i think halfway through we do get some new things like there's a different pulsation that takes over again it's very subtly barely even noticed like it arrive it's just suddenly oh that's there (laughs) and it just belt built up slowly but it's kind of like a bass synth whirring in the background i i liken it to like truck wheels on a highway heard at some distance you get that like that like you know that tapping over and over again but it still sounds like it's against concrete so you keep the industrial feel i suppose in that way in fact, va- to some extent, I think the whole track made me feel like I was on a highway. That's another, I think, interpretation I would have from this. It's like, things are in motion, it's, it's this unstoppable force, but, you know, there's that beat nature I can't really look away. So it's, it's not like the, the dread that the first track gave me that I'm in the middle of a machine, instead now it's more like, well, I'm, I'm in motion in a more free-flowing way. Pleasing kind of motion. I, that's the best way I could describe it.
0: But I think that just gives more dimension to this setting that was created in the first one. Like it's not all dread in the heart of the city. Like as we talked about sure. last week with depression. Like being in the heart of the city can be very oppressive. I think, but there are I, like, expansive mo places around the city and so like i think that's what this is supposed to convey
1: sometimes it's supposed to convey wonder like metropolis that's actually if if you avoid the scenes which are you know focused on on labor strife and all that there are a lot of scenes in that that are just there's thrilling to watch it's it almost like an imagination of the future that we all we all hope will be the thing you know without all the bad stuff that go with it
0: but also it's important to focus on something you mentioned about the free-flowing nature of this highway feel because it connects really well to the, tr- the fourth track, which is the reprise
1: of The River. But there's a divide, of course. This is yeah. the end of our first arc. You know, There's, yeah. there's a, a signifying end to this track. We don't, it doesn't just bleed straight over. Yeah, it stops, and then we get
0: pretty much a return to what we had previewed in track two, but in a little more f- f- fleshed-out version.
2: A little more. We this get is... two
0: minutes and 25 seconds instead.
2: This is, this is the same yet completely different. Um, If you were watching the river in the first rendition, the reprise, I would liken it to being within the river itself. There are uh, whirling noises going past your ear, uh, just just long drawn out notes, like we actually got in the previous arc. But here, they're a lot more muted. At the same time, we're getting high chimey, airy work on top of it. Very fleeting. Very clear and very well defined. For me, this immediately visualized just being in the depths of a river, seeing bubbles floating through the through the water itself. It was an extremely strong visual for me. I can't get away from it. The fractured nature of these little edges, though, keep those bubbles still crystals instead of just perfect spheres. The, the distortion-heavy whirls going by keep it as less water and more some sort of silicon water amalgamation.
1: I don't know how else to describe it. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's tough, because... Well, I gotta just point out initially that this is the earliest reprise I've ever heard on any album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. The Usually last... they come at the end. Granted, the last track was, like, six minutes, but my memory's not that short. Give me some credit. So... I figured, you know, by the time we get to this, it's like, all right, well you know, we just heard that. But it really, it's true. It pushes the boundaries. It pushes it so much beyond the capabilities of of the first instance of the river. I mean, it seemed. I think the main uh, emotion that I would use here is 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 more desperate. Yeah. I think there there's just there was an emotion that that you simply can't accomplish in twenty five seconds. I think for the first time, I actually started to hear a narrative in those upper, like, screeches, the, the, the keyboard. You know, I, I immediately pictured Blade Runner. I immediately felt the, the desperation and the overbearing nature of that Blade Runner city. Um, but I feel the emotion behind that. It's not just the city itself. It's the, it's the person who's trapped. And I think this is the closest this album may have gotten to that, to that perspective as opposed to this this removed sensation that the rest of the album is, is pretty good at, actually. And speaking to that specific
0: part of the track and emotion, I equated it to a game that me and John are very familiar with, Steve not so much, um, called Mass Effect. And there are a lot of moments in Mass Effect where you have that expansive, almost emptiness of space that feels like... You know, floating through empty water, through floating through empty space. Perfect idea is the actual beginning of the second part of the
2: series, right? Where the main character is sitting there, his air tanks busted, and it's just a long straight pan out as of he's this floating little away, yeah, this little as astronaut up. dude as he's he's stuck, he's running out of air, everything's dying around him, blah 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 that scene, but I definitely see the connection that you made between the two.
0: Yeah, and it's got, like, the tech, the technological parts of this song remind me of that, too, because Mass Effect had a lot of words and sound effects in the music that- with Rises and Falls, and this track has that.
1: There's not a lot of- I think this is another main thing that helps this track over some others to me. I think, in the end, the regimented beat work of other tracks is a bit of a detractor for me as it is with a lot of techno because sometimes it it demeans the audience a little bit you know i understand that there's need for for regiment and and structure um but that's that's not everything i think honestly with this with this whole texture you can accomplish more when you remove that and you just focus on some of the ambient work in the background doesn't mean you have to remove rhythm entirely I think there is a rhythm here in fact we get our only beat in this is like every several seconds and over that you actually do have kind of a melody as I as I pointed out there's a bit more of a narrative in the keyboard and it seems like even though the keyboard really is just comping along with all of this along with that those swells from beneath it's like once you're consigned to the fact that a melody will never actually arrive you can start looking at the keyboard comping as the melody itself, because that's your only frame of reference. Those are the high notes, they're there, they're they're providing more character, that's what's providing the narrative that I heard, the human touch. All of that is is just it was beautiful in this track. And it culminated in a single moment that I could easily describe as, as the climax of this track, and maybe one of my favorite moments on the album to be honest. It was a single moment, and I could I could pin it down to about one minute forty seconds, where you get the beat. You get that, that beat that I described is only appearing every several seconds between all the swells. That's, the, that's the, the climax and then we get the decay on that. But here we get that followed almost immediately by a short beat, just maybe like half a beat, an eighth note or something like that. And on that beat we get this beautiful seventh chord. And there's not a lot of chord work in the majority of this album. So when you hear something that all of a sudden is dense and I don't mean texturally dense, but tonally dense, Yeah. then it stands out. It stands out quite a bit. And I love that slight delay that they included, because the beat that we're accustomed to, you would almost expect it to sync up at the moment. Well, that's the moment in which the chord is going to come, but there's that slight, slight delay. Again, whenever anything deviates on this album, it's probably going to be my favorite part.
0: No, I totally get that. And I think that the hammered keys that you're describing, essentially this almost pressing on a physical keyboard, really stands out in the song, especially which is not a very long song to begin with, but it it adds even more character to it. Sure. And I'm kind of... uh, uh, This is another case where I think
2: our different interpretations are just marrying up in different thematic levels. Yeah.
0: Not not one is more right than the other. They're all right in different ways. Space oppression,
2: far-off reaches, physical oppression or emotional oppression that Steve gave being deep underwater and seeing little bubbles of hope going up through the air. I mean,
1: we keep tackling tackling these guys at different angles with the same sort of idea. The only thing we haven't really touched upon is, of course, uh, the guiding focus of the album, which is his concept here. Uh, So I I keep wanting to go back to that Solon's arc and that, that idea of ballistics. And I'm still somewhat, like, removed from all these. Like, I guess when I look right down to it, the arc that i see is really just maybe the individual tonal arcs and then of course the arc that we just had over the course of those three tracks yeah. here in river reprise we begin a new arc and i do have a a sensation of this of this uh the album kind of renewing itself yeah. i think at this moment it 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 hit home harder than some of the previous tracks so that's about the only only bit i get i understand that i'm looking for very complex things here. I'm looking for everything he referred to before. I'm looking for disintegrated melodic textures and dismantled beats. Sure, I see that. But the arc, as the purpose of that, that's a tough one. It's a really tough one. He's, he's coming at this from a, a high art perspective, but it's something we need to sort of keep in the back of our heads as we keep going.
0: So going on to the follow-up track, track five, Blank Empire. Um, this track actually goes in a bit of a different direction, a little bit. Um, we still have, from the moment it starts, the beat that the work that they give us. It still has that kind of industrial feel, but the overtones change quite a bit. It's it's a didgeridoo in this case.
2: I don't yeah, know. I how didn't it was hear that bit. at all. No, the whir- whirring is, is is almost feels like a didgeridoo. To me. It's but at more... the same time, because it's so
1: reverbed, mechanica, blah, 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 blah. Now, all right, all right. I think I know what you're talking about, but that's just not what I would refer to as a redo. Yes. I, I got this... This, this track absolutely fascinates me, but it's because of how simple it is. I would just call that static. I mean, let's let's put certain things aside here. There's not, there's not going to be any bizarre instrumentation on this album. He's working with a pretty confined palette. And especially in this track, it seems even more confined. I mean, beat and static. That's like the whole gamut here. And the static itself is almost like this called orange, like a war horn. So maybe that's what, I, what you, where you got didgeridoo from. Um, but it, it has it's interesting. It comes across as sort of like a hemiola to me. I, fir- I first felt this like in three. And then I felt it in four following that steady thump in the background. That's your beat. That's your quarter note. Four of those per measure. Four measure cycles, nothing complex there. But then over that, you get that sort of swelling fuzz sound, which is another way of, like, it's it's a war horn when it continues straight, but when it pulsates, it just sounds like like electromagnetic radiation, the kind of, like, pulses that you would get, like, in sine waves. So I would go more toward that. I'd lean more toward, like, the electrical um, metaphors than, for instance, the... the man-made instrument metaphors, which I feel like I just need to kind of leave at the door here. But we, we get these, when it does enter in with, like, these sine wave swells, that is against the beat in the background. That occurs every 1.5 beats, so in, in total it would be two for every three beats. And then there's a phrase break. That's just a spell of silence for the fuzz that appears over the fourth measure, where it's just completely silent while the thump just continues on. And that's your four-measure cycle right there. Three measures of that hemiola with the fuzz against the backbeat in the fourth measure. It's absent, but the backbeat continues. But then we start as, again, the subtle changes just absolutely fascinate me. The the further we get into this track, we start focusing on some other. We add some other effects, for instance. We add, like, more frantic electronica sounds. We add, like, this brushing every four measures. And then after a while, that fuzz is no longer going forth in the sine wave. It's just a steady tone it is just like for the duration of three measures entirely it's just a single flat tone then it departs in the fourth then it's steady again and the the trans i couldn't even notate the moment in which it reduced the sine wave portion and just became a steady tone couldn't note the moment because everything happens so gradually i
2: love the way
1: that matches up to
2: the idea i got from this track as a whole as a a thematic piece, it's just taking the title alone, Blank Empire, something great and built up and encompassing a large area, but blank, without character. It's it's building something, but it's building something that in the end just seems like it just lacks character, lacks individuality. That's where those steady, three measure, blank tones come in. This is now starting, in in my mind... Well, that one-measure black tone. That uh, um, that one-measure yeah. blank tone. 3 full, one-empty. <laughs> it's, it's just sort of
1: deleting the character out of the actual song. If you or, consider the character to be that, that war horn, or didgeridoo, or fuzz, or static, or however you want to interpret it. Or some it. sort of just distortion. Something
2: sure. that's breaking up from the normal, almost repetitive thumping along of the tr- of the the movement of the music mm-hmm. so something was breaking up and it's smoothing it out it's trying to make it you know the same trying to make it a steady tone just building up the thumping as opposed to adding color itself this adds a lot of extra texture to just an the overall theme of the story itself just an overall idea it's creating a cohesive use A
0: unit outside of just the three song arcs for me. Mm -hmm. Speaking to what Steve said before, though, uh, musically, I want to comment on aesthetically, um, since there is a lot of strong visuals in the music in this album. uh, The tribal sense I got from the rhythms in this felt more of like an old world within the machine city, this kind of human element within the technology. And... I mean, the most famous version of this or one of the more famous modern versions of this is Zion from the Matrix movies, the idea of this tribal, almost prehistoric. group of humans within this dark machine world i got a sense of that from the music
1: here because it does have that tribal feel while not completely removed from technology and of course they tried to do that in the big dance sequence in matrix reloaded which regardless of your opinions on the movie which is perhaps questionable in the broad i mean if i i guess i like the symbolism as 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 a little thick as it is you know that we have to have something extremely human it was almost like an orgy, practically. It was like a dance slash orgy is how human and animalistic can you get to contrast everything that surrounds them, which is very, very mechanical. And the and the tail end of this track kind of uh, represents kind of
0: focusing in on almost two humans in that animalistic matter because it gets much lighter and more
1: focused, as you said, because... Yeah the rhythm falls out. It's certainly interesting, and I do find us ping-ponging back and forth between like, oh, is, is, is it tribal or is it machine-like? Is it tribal or machine-like? Because I just went through that whole rant, and I was like, well, maybe it's a little more machine-like, but I, I see it, it's like I said earlier, I see it poking through. I see the human element poking through, and I guess even within the regimen of this track and how and how orderly it is, and I described the hemiola and everything, it's, you do you do hear it. You do hear this... This desire to be tribal, I guess, at the same time. And after all, it is called Blank Empire. That, that, it's an eyebrow raiser of a title. Blank Empire. It makes you visualize something human that is bereft of its humanity. Yeah. And, and that's, that's an interesting concept, just for titles alone.
0: And what I like about the outro is, as it gets lighter, it really leads well into, and I cannot pronounce track six, so please someone take a stab. L'Envaux. As good as it's gonna get, I think.
1: But I follow your transition here, and that is important. That whole camera tightening in on like two people toward the end of that of that um... showing
0: that passion.
1: Mm-hmm. And you get that, of course. Everything everything starts to strip away, and that's how the how Blank Empire closes closes out. By the time we get to Lanvole, I mean, first of all, it's important to to note that in French that simply means flight. So. Obviously, and this was evident even before you know we looked up because we're English. We looked up the word, but it was evident before that that this is a much more soaring track eh, space here was one of the words that we threw around there, but honestly i I feel more air in this track like yeah. you can hear you can hear the the air being cut by like let's say jet engines, or for instance the sound a jet engine would make when it's in the distance, and it's cutting through the sky. But you're not really, you're too far to hear the engine itself. You're not hearing the engine, you're hearing the air being cut by it, which is an effect that, that happens long in the trail of the airplane itself. So I, I, I just love that, that sensation, which that's, that's what flight is. That's, that's soaring. Cinematically, it definitely does that cut from zooming in to
0: shooting to the sky above the city, and it does give this expansive, soaring feeling. I mean, you feel mm-hmm. like you're in the air above whatever setting we're in. And in this case there is,
2: for me, an un, uh, undefined but present character in the sharper, higher register synth work. The, the, the light flurries is a, is a main element that stays throughout. I mean,
1: he, he's doing a lot of contrasting between long sweeps and sharp notes. I would like to define that by three elements here. There's this three specific effects that are taking place. And one of them is that sort of mist rolling in and out. That's what I I defined earlier is the, like the, the air whirling, being cut the whirling. Right. And then another one is these the high synth sort of keyboard work, but eh, not quite keyboard work again. It's just like these overlapping gurgles, so to speak. And then the other is that really long tone that I think you're referring to, but except it, 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 it occurs in two tones specifically, but it's like this open, warm, almost Gregorian chant kind of tone. At least it has the reverb of, of being set in, let's say, in like a cathedral, but it's just two tones. And this is a little tonal observation here, because again, these are scant opportunities with which to bring them up on this album. But this seemed like the track that really most wanted to resolve to any kind of home, but it never can. There's that slow, ambient drum in the background. Again, it just consists of two notes, E and D, and then it fades away. Now, had there been a C there, had it just gone that one extra whole step down, then we would have a nice, pleasing, if predictable, 3-2-1 in the major scale. But there never is such a resolution. It's built off of that, of that, of that delay and that lack of a resolution. And then, interestingly, the other dominant sound, this cyclical almost irritating pattern in in the higher notes, like an alarm of sorts, it, I believe, is using the notes E, D, C, B to kind of gurgle around. So it does go down to C, but it goes further than that. It goes down to B, which is your 7, past the major scale, and past the tonic to the 7. And once you land on 7, of course, that B robs it of resolution. So now you imply this awkward Locrian mode more than anything else. So it just keeps this further unstable, which is why when you contrast that sound with the fact that Throughout the entire track, the main warm tone never changes from E D. And there's a pause, never resolves E D. All the chaos is just it keeps this unsettled, unresolved sensation throughout. Absolutely love that. It comes off as uh, the
2: f- it, it it leaves up it lives up to his name once again. It's the flittering travels of of some sort of like almost almost unknowable fairy creature <laughs> That's i mean it's, one thing it's, i didn't think of <laughs> it's it's just hard to pin down on 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 this little character that is just it's traversing a space
0: i mean i kind of get a feel also i mean it's not so far-fetched for i mean it doesn't really fit in this setting but almost a superheroic kind of flight this kind of like think about the first time you saw superman fly in the superman movies that kind of beauty of expansive soaring, I get a sense of that. A very cinematic
1: flying scene. It doesn't
0: have to be Superman well,
1: specifically, but that kind of cinematography. That's a very easy comparison, of course, toward the musical uh, observation that I just made, and yeah. it's simply that if you have no resolution, you haven't landed. You are yeah. still in the midst of flight. You are soaring continuously, and the resolution would ultimately be your your touch upon land. But since everything in this album revolves around the concept of there being arcs and parabolas, and you just in the air, perhaps even making some kind of, like, flirtation with, with space itself. And this is perfectly exemplified by the fact that these high chimes, the
2: synth, the character of the song itself, leaves before the song ends. It doesn't resolve. It flies up. It actually does a, a, a kind of a fade-out. You, you hear it less and less and less, and then it's just gone. But the other two aspects of the track, the wind... The expanses there is all that you're
1: left with. You're just looking out upon some sort of desert area. Well, it was one thing at a time that that it strips away. I mean, I remember that it stripped away. uh I remember at the end it leaves you with just the ambient drone. That was that was a, a sure thing. Um, just the ED, and it's funny that when you hear it alone, it almost sounds like a foghorn in the distance, like like without the mist itself. So I guess that's a that's an appropriate. Inappropriate um, analysis of this. If they, if if it is soared away, then you're kind of just left with the drone of space itself without your character or your present thing. So it's 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 an interesting, if abstract analysis. But you know what? We're in abstract territory. That's true. I mean, but the thing, the most interesting thing about John's theory about this track is
0: that when we go to the next track, track seven, Amber Decay, is we are ripped from this.
1: No, we're ripped. Well, we're no, no, no it is a new arc though he's correct it's that's, a new arc that's the oh, main that's reason true.
0: that's the main reason and there is a reason for it in my eyes okay well so amber decay has a the most sudden start we've gotten and the first track to not start with a heavy beat of any kind we just get this kind of looming aggressive
1: almost growling machine sound you get very slow vibrations within like the overall pulsation i mean obviously the pulsation has been present you know throughout we get a lot of that but within that there's like these slow singular vibrations which of course makes everything makes the low tones where to the point where if you play a tone so low you can actually hear those individual vibrations if you play a really high tone well you can't hear any vibrations because they're too fast for the for the human ear to perceive well here you really get that growl every single vibration is present and then 45 seconds in, gotta throw this in because it was another one of the, the the special moments on this album. We get a slight dip in the overall tone here. Just a pitch bend, as if you were on a keyboard and you just used a little pitch bend wheel on the left there. Well, that functions as our transition to the main section of this track, which is, I, I gotta say, it, it brings back the steady beat, which I'm not always thrilled with because it robs the album of a little more flexibility but it's it's there and again it keeps it more like a more danceable kind of traditional techno let's say it's uh it's a me and math bo- both said a a
2: metal hitting wood kind of a beat or just two two wooden pieces it feels it it feels natural in a lot of ways that a lot of this album just hasn't especially when it comes to the beats but It's not the only element that just makes a slow burn into it. The previous track, or the previous Oryx character of the flying synth, I guess we might wanna call it, eventually makes a a re-emergence here. And that's when I realized the growl is a new character in and of itself. It's not a steady distortion of a note because it doesn't come in on the same beat or exit on the same beat within a single measure the growling is 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 off putting it's it's sometimes longer sometimes shorter but it has its own cycle in the macro of the song itself it's a primal machine it's almost
1: like well, a re- mechanic's guard dog but the, yeah it, it does bring to light the fact that that in this album and I got to bring it back to form of course because we're, we're, when you leave the the ballistic territory um then you know you you could you could start putting in whatever Whatever you see as we go here, but it, it's important that because we're in the beginning of the New Lark, it's like, well, what is your character? We keep referring to this character, but we're talking about ballistics here. Your character, you, you interpreted a superhero in the previous track. Well, he, he, it could also be missiles and the aggression that I feel in this particular track. It's like we're kind of brought back to that war-like feel here. Like, if the moment of departure from the ground is going to be your most aggressive portion... How can you blame the missile mid-air?
0: Well, that's the thing is if we're actually equating it to a missile on the last track, I imagine watching a missile fly through the air without the context of what it's doing, without the crash, without the launch, without the um, the probably, impetus probably looks very majestic flying Exactly. The air. And I think that's a good point, but the, 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 there's definitely an aggressive nature in this track that we really haven't seen before. There were some Muddiness in the earlier tracks, but this is no, where fr- we're really getting very aggressive.
1: The first track I felt more dark, but not aggressive. It's yeah, true. This is definitely I think the way first more. It's probably the more one of the more threatening. Well, no, not threatening is not the word. The first track I think is the more, most severe. Yes, but this one's definitely more aggressive, threatening, and in your face. And it, it really feels <laughs>
0: like there's an antagonist here. We'd have a protagonist in moments, whether it was the city or the the. The people, or the street, or the the steel yard. This we really have
1: an antagonist, this growling robotic guard dog, if you will, or whatever it is. I was very intrigued by the title Amber Decay because I was I was I was struggling to think what the decay was when you're clearly at the beginning of the arc. It was a hole, in, uh, but I, I I'm sure there's a reason. I just haven't thought of it.
0: Well, I mean, an amber decay. I mean, if we use amber it's it's mineral form or like this idea that amber can preserve life. It's the decaying of life. I mean, think about back to Jurassic Park, that that one mosquito is preserved in amber almost kept al- and kept alive all those years. The idea of this amber that's keeping the human race alive is decaying. Everything else is breaking down around it.
2: There's also, and this will tie in later when I do a big theme discussion, uh, the idea of encasing something you think is perfect and watching it still fall apart, because amber is a very severe way to try to encase something. Just think about, well, you have a pet or something that's actually living. You encase it in, in amber. Yeah, it'll be perfect, but it it's gonna look dirty. I mean, amber adds a certain hue that kind of leeches the life out of something. Besides killing it in the amber itself, it doesn't look as clear. It's It's smoggy, it's dirty kind of a look to it when you got something in it as a gem Damn. as a jewel it's got its own brilliance but anytime you start yellowing something it's 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 it, it adds a little bit of well decay to it
1: that's okay that's interesting and what matt has said it is interesting i don't know which of you is is really on the ball here i i'll throw in my two cents um only because i think we're we're a little off-base. <laughs> but, you know, this is what you got to deal with. I think I'm a little stuck on the concept of, of this nature versus technology bent. I still think that's a thing. And, of course, if you perceive Amber as the preservation of life, and this is going directly back to what you said, Matt, then to watch it decay is to watch life itself decay. But what I see recurring throughout this album is all these different references to are at least tonal references, textual references, to ballistics, to warfare, to, to that I can't ignore the aggression, I can't ignore the threat. In that case, it's like you're almost indicting humanity for its own downfall, in a sense.
0: Well, technically in any story where the machines rise up and crush the humans, it's because the humans created those machines in the first place, therefore sealing their own demise. So if that's the angle, that's very apparent in most science fiction
1: We're off base. I'm pulling it back. (laughs) All right. I'm pulling it completely back here. Anyone have any more comments on this particular? All
2: right, bring it. Um, This is one of the best parts of the album, where I feel like his phasing into foreground and background is really just top notch. Um, The different elements coming in and out. Well, once they get into the song itself, into the piece itself, they stay. But the just the way they're presented and competing with one another. Sometimes that growl really does take a backseat. It does. It takes a leave of absence. And it's great when these different elements are, well, being showcased. I love it. It adds texture without
1: having to really complicate it overtly. And there's more instrumentation. There's a little stick work. There's, like, beeping becomes almost constant. It's... There's a lot of different things, and then the outro, of course, brings back that, like, deep synth that, pl- you know, almost plays like a melody to close us out. It's very odd, but it-, it-, it comes across as being extremely sorrowful, so I won't completely disregard everything that we've said right now. I do believe that the this- this track in some sense is is implying some kind of ultimate downfall especially when you consider just the natural musical arc of the track which is what we ultimately go back to in the end the the motion that you're left with is just simply you started out with aggression and then all of a sudden it peters out like some kind of sorrowful ep- uh, epilogue to to something's existence whatever that may be <laughs> whether that's the mosquito in your in your uh ancient block of amber or that's humanity as a as a metaphor for the mosquito or for the dinosaurs as it were i again all we're going off with is the word amber otherwise none of this would ever be mentioned but the emotion is left yeah let's go from that to something a little different because again if we consider the actual arc here the actual not the musical arc but the ballistic arc this is the most appropriate word for that kind of thing. It's called Apogee. And Apogee is the highest point in the development of something. It's the—it's your climax. It's your culmination. And this was pretty interesting because, again, we're dealing with just maybe two individual subjects, musical subjects. And we trade between these two. Again, much like directing. One is in the foreground sometimes. One is in the background sometimes. The first I describe, and both me and Matt pointed this out, as being almost like a hedge trimmer. It, it sounded like something... Something loud, but something relatable. A machine that, that feels like it could surround you. It, it flutters. It sounds like it's weed-whacking constantly. The second sound is this synth whirring in the background. I know we get a lot of that in this album, but this time it seems like phase in rhythmic pulsation. Almost, again, like cosmic radiation. So here, I see this as a, as a reflection of the same thing I noted in the previous, um, in the previous Apogee track, as I, as I the flight, for instance. Actually that was the that was the latter half of the arc. That was something that was still in mid flight and it barely touched the ground at the end. Things just sort of stripped away. But in this particular arc, we get we get the real combination. In fact I don't think anything has ever been higher. If we're just looking at altitude in this in this album, I don't think anything has ever been so so thin and so as I called it in that track, a flirtation with space. That's what I hear here, especially in that like that that pulsation. Cosmic radiation is a really, really important thing to note, and I, I thought of that before I even considered this as as apogee. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the highest point in the development, and yet I heard cosmic radiation. There does come that point, and I love uh, you know. You see certain videos of the people who try to make these 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 highest free fall ever's. You know, there was that was a recent thing, only maybe a few months ago. Sometime in twenty fourteen, uh, there was this man. I believe he was he was French, and he. Combatted the record that was previously held by an American going all the way back to the 60s for the highest freefall ever. And it's done by a, a, a balloon that is made out of a very, very thin fabric because it needs to go higher than any other balloon, practically. And from there, he needs to be in a full-on space suit because he's practically in space at that moment. That Talk about apogee. This is the moment where you need to go down, and f- at that point, it's silence. It's ultimate silence. You are essentially in space. And that's that's kind of the impression this track gave me its lack of additional layering almost comes
2: off as vacuum as well as a be- just just the previous tracks especially within this arc there's a lot missing a lot less clutter and it's it's almost a ringing in your ears to go from amber decay to this and not have those elements present uh in several ways, I would almost liken it to the previous two characters, the previous two individuals that may have been the protagonist-antagonist of Amber Decay, are now holding their breath. They're no longer doing anything. This, this almost comes off as one of those moment tracks. It's one of those ringing, long-scale instances. Because everything that was there previously is now
0: paused. Well, I think also the lack of drum machine more or less in this
1: entire track gives gives way to that it's, impression. It's mainly that that thin nature of the track that you're dealing with, again, just those two subjects. So, you know, not to like, not to like hammer my, my interpretation of this, but it's almost like it was trading out between, again, talking about human sounds, human impressions, versus something that's a little more external, more electronic. Then this track, of course, would be, pursuing like like almost a heartbeat on one hand and then of course your your radiation the other your perception of yourself versus your perception of the external of the fact that you're at the edge of the atmosphere or on the brink of space it's just you know that's that trading back and forth you you're focused on yourself you're focused on the external you're you're in awe but at the same time you're kind of concerned for your well-being and your your safety because humans weren't expected to live in such environments it's 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 a concept but i i i don't know it's if we're gonna, talk, I enjoy place in this album. I think setting is very important. If we're gonna talk, Ken Ding Ray's,
2: uh, a, a proclamation of what this album is. This is the most idealized parabolic height. This is that moment an arrow traveling from a bow stops being able to fight gravity and just hangs there for that single instant, and then makes a descent back to earth. It is. It is the most idealized top of an arc right here in this song
1: whatever arc you're talking about whether it's my interpretation or whether it's just like yeah Uh, uh, bow and arrow you know very close to ground anything it is is the concept before before as he said gravity starts to take over my point is of course whatever you're referring to this track i think is as close to his envisioned arc of this album as any other track that we've previously had, because we've often offered a lot of other interpretations and a lot of other just musical impressions that could completely remove us from his point, his subject, his work as an artist, but this one, I never even needed his, his, uh, his liner notes for me to, to get what he was trying to get at, as of this track, at least.
0: We move from this track to track nine, History of Obscurity, which brings us back into the setting that I think we've been talking about a lot before. We're back in the city. We're back in that more electronic and machine feel. But it doesn't start off
2: that way. It's, it, it does have those those kind of wood-tapping percussions from, the, uh, from previous work uh, in Amber Decay, and it's light techno tones, light electronica tones, That slowly supplement, well, at first complement, but then supplement the actual uh, initial offerings of the track to such a point that by the
0: end, it's very much an electronica track. Mm. It's a descent. It starts more natural, and then the electronica almost starts to overtake it as the song progresses. I, it's a
1: slow transition. I agree with both of you. more toward Matt, in the sense that this begins again more in that like tribal, threatening, uh, like something is on the horizon kind of sense. Because it, it struck me as like a, almost, yeah, again, we go back to the war drum pattern, but I don't know, I'm hesitant to even say tribal because it felt more organized. It felt like this, like an entire civilization's drum pattern. Everything is organized. In this case, the drum falls, um, falls in the first beat, falls on the two and, and then it falls in the fourth beat. Then we get one measure of reprieve, and then we follow the same pattern again: the one, the two and, and then the four. It's, it's a kind of war pattern. Which, when you play out on that, on that rhythm, it really might, might sync up perfectly to, let's say, you know, one of the Roman Empire's uh, approaches in, let's say, back in Ben-Hur, or back in Spartacus, or any movie concerning, like, an ancient empire, it's threatening, and it, yet it sounds organized, it sounds very much like, like, there's, there's, entire worlds are being moved in order to, to make this approach, and make this, this aggression, Perhaps again, I'm just thinking about this because of the title, history of obscurity, so I'm thinking in the past a little bit. These things you can't avoid, you know, maybe you can avoid his 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 uh, liner notes, but you certainly can't avoid titles. But there's other things here that sound very organized, like the synth presents itself as this very organized downward arpeggio, and then repeats that every single measure. Then periodically we get these gongs, that kind of aids the, uh, the, the, war, the war chant feel. And then we have this tapping that sort of tapers off. I believe alternating the uh, the drum pattern. That appears one measure, and then later in the track, the other measure, the measure where that drum is silent, is taken over by the part where the tapping occurs. It's like a fluttering tap, and then it sort of tapers off like an echo until it's down to nothing. So I kind of get the sense that it was almost like a slant on maybe civilization itself, like, you know, cyclical patterns of, like, warfare and decline, a lot of this stuff. Earlier in the album, we were thinking more in the future. Well, now I'm thinking more in the past. Certainly, if ever you think tribal, well, that's probably going to bring you to a non-mechanized state. But still, they used mechanized things. Again, warfare is always mechanized. Well, the
2: mechanized is not super present in the beginning. It slowly builds, like we said, It was still to pretty but it becomes much more prevalent, and towards the end of the track that... It's not River. I no, mean... no, 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 no. Towards the end of the track, there's nothing but that mechanical tone. At the end, sure. We didn't get to the outro yet. That's this, when the... this, to me, just the way it's... It, like I said, complements and supplements is the transition of history. Is going from our more primal nature into... A more industrial, into a more cyberspace-oriented society, going from one to the next to the next, the
1: pure to the blended to the mechanical, the That's electric. It's important to say history of obscurity because, well, but civilizations at the same time, rise and fall, and but then all of a sudden time, they're forgotten.
2: It loses a lot of character when it goes into that cyberspace type of a thing, and when it goes into the purely electronica pieces, it's. In, in another light, in another way, another interpretation I got for it, it's a, supplement, a supplementing of the carbon-based into the silicon-based.
1: How do you see that? Well, the wooding tapping, the the more breath that's in the beginning of the track. But what we really get at the end here is a complete stripping again, like he's done in earlier tracks, stripping of various different uh, different subjects. You strip away the main beat, and then all that's left is that echo, that tapping... And then finally, at the very end of the track, all that's left is just that arpeggio. So, I like mean, I said,
2: but that's just the
1: beep boops of electronics. So just you, the you see that just the silicon. Just so all of a sudden now it's the modern civilization that has disappeared. Like well, this is the entire history that he's presenting. An, I would be on board with that. In this light of the carbon supplementing, being
2: supplemented by the silicon, it's more like individuality and the mind being changed and just uniformed into just a series of ones and zeros it's a it's a full character that reached such great heights that eventually falls down and loses its individuality
1: from the that we had in Apogee. In that case, I'm just going to supplant your word choice. I think carbon versus silicon is not what this is going to. I I just I, I don't see those words here. I think this is simply pre-industrial versus industrial. But even that is only based on the outro, without which I wouldn't even have that context. No, it's I, I I'd argue that only because
2: the electronica takes a huge a huge part of this song prior to just the outro. It starts becoming really the forefront element. It, it it replaces how the beat work was going. You, you stop being able to hear a lot of the more natural tones in relation to the electronica tones because the volume's being changed on it. Because the electronica tones are getting more complicated. They're adding little spurts and additional elements while the previous elements from, well, just the whirring and the tapping
1: are being subtracted. Well, I need to go this far. At least to say that Though what we're talking about right now may seem like a long way to go for this particular track I do believe is the only way to go because just as I mo- mentioned that the last track is very close to the artist's goal I don't see the arc. I don't see ballistics. I see very little I think it's it's the kind of track that I want to hear this this sensation of of falling back to I want I want to I want to see his goal but I don't so instead I, I I'm I'm making up my own story in my head which isn't isn't by intention it's simply by by facility i was there i heard it and this is what i felt
0: i think it's important though with all of this theme stroking to focus back on the music a bit and comment on how while steve talks about how this track does stay within a very strong framework and is fairly structured even though it fades and changes It gets repetitive. We haven't really had a repetitive moment in a while. The earlier tracks felt a little repetitive, but then we were getting enough that we didn't feel that. But here, because of that structure and these designs that you're talking about, it does fall subject to that repetitive rhythm until it falls apart at the end and changes. And I think it focuses on that change that you're talking about because it changes... It it gives that sudden shift at the end of the song that breaks you out of that repetitive nature.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, of course, we've been analyzing 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 we haven't really uh we haven't really done much in the way of opinions yet and i'm sure that will be be apparent in our uh, in our wrap-up but i think on this let, let's let's continue our new arc here because that's pretty good uh pretty good fade to leave us on as we have another break for our final arc in the track which are tracks uh, on the album which are track 10 11 and 12 and track 10 is crystal so this song
0: is actually, straight up front, one, my, one of my favorite tracks on the record. It has this pretty fade in with a synth piano on the intro, and it really this is the first time we really get a focus on an instrument that's not a rhythm or an electronic tone. We really get a sense of a rare moment of beauty within all of this
1: chaos and this madness. We have a little bit of a disparity again here because I, I, I heard of it, an, an electronic tone. In fact, it was very, very low like the kind of feedback you'd get from like not having properly insulated wires or something or, or copper touching copper somewhere. And then you hear it in your speakers. It's a very mild roughness. It's to the very track. mild, right. Which is maybe not how you, uh, you heard it as electronic, but I, I, I see it as, as, um, as uncomparably electronic, but we hear it in, in, in like crystalline clarity, perhaps because the title is called crystal and it, everything does come across crystal clear that's important because for the majority of this album things aren't clear things are muddied things are stepping through various filters we've described the word static and fuzz over and over again and then here all of a sudden everything is very very crisp so alongside that alongside that that low electronic hum that I heard I also heard these like warbling high tones that repeat on a very steady musical motif but again musical it actually does have chord changes. It plays these little, like, broken chords, uh, kind of gurgling between them, but it has motion to it, and within that, almost sectional patterns. So it was, a, it, it was like, the only track I could describe in this, on this album is maybe Sweet, and it's... Yeah.
0: Well, I didn't feel it was sweet so much as, like I said, a break in that madness, a moment of like clarity. A, like a breath. Okay. Yeah, it's taking this moment within everything going on around them to have this moment, realization, change, shift, whatever it is.
1: As, as perhaps as human as it gets. Yes, exactly. This is a very human
0: moment and one of the more emotionally charged tracks on the record. But at the same time, those sweeps have a very hard edge. A
2: very hard cutoff point. As you're listening to them, they rise. They do rise up to to extreme heights, but they stop in an instance. And that that uh, that was just beautiful. And the first time I heard this song, it was so sharp. I I immediately thought of saw blade, like a, the actual teeth of a saw. But because of the uneven nature of it, it it they weren't quite all the same length or the same depth or the same heights as far as the tone was going; it was very uneven, very jagged, and that's what I got that's, without that's knowing that the elect- name. That's that
1: electronic hum because it does it does it is stifled several times. That's true. It's um, almost it was it was for me just you you could almost cut yourself on
2: these breaks, and without knowing the name, I had already formed the idea of a crystal. First time I heard this, didn't know what it was called. That that idea is almost running your finger along amethyst and hitting that geographic uh, geometric edge where all of a sudden the
1: plane shifts and starts all over again and then shifts starts all over again well certainly in the way that you describe things that are very angular which does of course contrast what matt said about it sounding very human even though of course we actually kind of bring crystals and <laughs> we always associate humanity with crystals for some reason but that goes into astrology which i'm certainly not going to do here um because i don't really buy it <laughs> but first i need to address something else and that's the thing, the only through line that I have been able to find on this entire album that really I, I is just 100% solid throughout, and that's what you said, John, that if there are angular elements amidst the human facade that, that me and Matt saw, well, that is essentially the entire album. Everything is trying to push one through the other or vice versa, And and this is just another track that succeeds. 100%. We hear both, we want to hear more of one than the other sometimes, but the track will never give us that full resolve. It'll never, it'll never yield one over the other. If it sounds emotional, it sounds human, it'll always have something very, very harsh about it, very angular, very, very controlled. The album is calling the shots and you never get to interpret what you want here before it pulls you back to the other spectrum. Which I think is also what makes
0: it very cinematic, especially in describing this track specifically. Which I think is also why it had the most emotional impact, for me personally anyway. Because it felt also the most cinematic. Um, from here we go to Transitional Ballistics. So this is the first track that actually specifically references the ballistics that the blurb had at the beginning. But um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bullet. Not for me. I think we kinda of came to a consensus. This was a rocket of some sort. So we it was definitely artillery of some kind. There's definitely a firepower. This is the most aggressive warlike track we've gotten on the whole record. I feel like we've we said coming, that a few
1: times here, but it's But, it but is... this
0: is the most omnipresent and it really feels like this is a war that's culminating. This there is artillery being fired, shots fired. You I would argue rocket. that though. I wanna argue
2: that. And that is because the a main through Yeah. The main through line of the rocket. The kind of rumbling emotional feel, it doesn't land at all. It's just moving. It's another one where we're not seeing the beginning or the end I disagree. of this art. Where I- does. Name the point in the song where it actually culminates.
0: It's not in a say, matter of culmination in a macro sense, it's a micro sense. There are moments, certain sounds, tones, and percussions that culminate constantly, giving the artillery
1: feel. That's yeah, why honestly, I feel like it's a war zone. The funny open. thing is, I heard it all. I heard every element of it present in this track. Like yeah. This was probably the most, um, the, the, the closest thing, a about to a title track on this album here. You get the rocking sounds, you get things we've heard before, you get the air cutting again. And you get this aggressive, like, engine almost priming itself up for release, like, every four beats. And then each individual sound seems to embody a different form of ballistics, uh, of of an example of ballistics. You get angle, you get force, you get impact, and you get decay all at once, from a rocket to water droplets. Uh, And the flooding artillery just sort of, like, priming itself for releasing its, its weapon of choice. I mean, this is just... Everything is. A c- it's a cacophony at once here. Other tracks have been very simple, but this seems to really bring it all together in a big way. But it doesn't conflict with one another.
2: That's my main point here. Cl- they flow around each other.
1: We get- They're working in unison. That is the antithesis of conflict. Well, here's my median then. No, 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 no. Just what, here, Let me just insert a little median between you two. Because, of course, Matt said that he was hearing warlike things and I will take that down a little bit of a notch because as I said I see it all I think maybe you can interpret like the rockets right alongside those water droplets Where, what place did they have in war I don't know maybe like They're nearby or something, but that's just too much of a stretch. I see them as just another type of ballistic, in which case you have transitional ballistics. You're going between one and the other. But the cacophony of them together is where I'm inclined to agree with Matt, and that's where it does kind of sound warlike, because it's a cacophony. But also the water droplets that you're mentioning, when we're focused on that water droplet sound, the rest of
0: the artillery sound becomes muffled, almost as if it's showing another scene below or subdued. Another example of directing. Right. Hiding under a cavern below the battlefield. Whatever. But, but reason, that would be
2: my argument as to why you're not actually getting a true conflict. But I'm here. not saying it's the, a
0: conflict. You're saying no. War. I'm not. War you know, is okay, conflict. So then it's not a war. It's a decimation. There's one side. Everything's working together to wipe out everything else. There's, There's no, no battle, I, battle. I'm arguing that too. It's just everything is just working together.
2: When water water, a life-giving idea, is making droplets, the cacophony of the artillery, the rockets, the bullets, the what have you, takes a step back and gives it a place to stand out.
1: I think that is
2: that is it it, it takes a muffled. You see you just hear the plunk. But that's, but Look, that's everything not how happens
1: it. on this album in such a subtle fashion that I'm not sure I can really go 100% to your side, Matt, because there's just no culmination here. I it mean, it's decimation, but steady decimation? Is that what you're describing? Sort Where of. Where there's no ultimate thing? I mean, I don't know. I don't think I see that from water droplets necessarily. I mean, everything, everything trades out for one another, but then by the end, I, everything is pretty unchanging in this track. This is another one of those things. I've got to point out a pretty static musical arc it's a cacophony sure if you're interested in cacophony but like i feel like there would be greater peaks and valleys in this track if if such a a, a heavy-handed warlike environment was really was really the, i just don't think there's enough musical material to support it I, that's, that's my claim it's frankly we we talked about this much earlier but this is the
2: lens is just focusing all over the place because this becomes through the fact that it really doesn't change elements a single picture, but the focus is dramatically shifting as the song goes along. You're seeing a foreground piece, a background piece. It's two and a half dimensional
0: art. Is it's it not dramatic changing. though? Again, I say subtle. I don't say dramatic. I I think that the, the changing in tones from the water droplet to the cacophony fades at a gradual rate, so it, it does kind of subdue to the other. I feel like... Regardless of what the scenes are, it definitely goes from one scene to another scene to both scenes at the same time, kind of showing a constant, current momentum. This above. is astounding, yeah, I, astounding, astounding considering
1: mean. that just a few weeks ago I watched uh, *All Quiet on the Western Front*, the 1930 version, which has spectacular directing, by the way, especially for its time um, in the early like days of sound. Here, uh, examples of 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 scenework being shot on on the battlefield the battlefield they created they're not in a sound stage they have the trench and the camera actually starts rolling along the trench to see to see one one rifleman after the other and some of them get shot some of them lurch forward some of them are firing some of them get shot back but that like diagonal angle you know you really lets you see as much of the battlefield at once so I don't know here i want I want to buy all this I really do it's just it's just again i i I'm, I'm thinking this specifically through the idea of, of ballistics and forms of ballistics. If you see that as warfare, well, great, because that's certainly a prime example of ballistics. But there are a lot of ballistics in the natural world as well. And that's I just leave the door open that that's almost just as much chaos and could be just as threatening, perhaps. A ballistic is an asteroid hitting the Earth, and man didn't cause it. That's <laughs> fair enough. All right. Well, man could have call, created it prehistorically. Yeah, it's track
0: twelve. Track twelve. F- sun. What? Sun.
2: <laughs> We're on sun. S O N, as in daughter, son,
0: someone from your lineage. So, if, thank you. This oh. song, I mean. My biggest gripe with this song, as we get into it already, is it was the most predictable thing on the album. And it wasn't even that predictable, but it has a finality. It feels like an it, epilogue. It became an ending. Yeah. A it, very definitive, but still not quite resolute ending. Yeah. I mean, it, it. You can you can pinpoint when the credits start crawling, when they're giving the story. It just, it really did reek of typical ending to a... Something you know, movie, whatever
1: mo- There's a l- movement. There's a lack of beat work until like maybe two minutes in. Up until then, it's mostly just more electronic humming. They grow, they recede, they grow, they re- recede. As if just that's kind of like your reflecting moment before the beat work starts ending in, and that's your ultimate credits. It's surrealistic phasing. Yeah, and it, it's, I, it's, I, I find the same stuff here. It Incorporates different things like that, like a bongo drum sound. Okay, almost, almost. Um, it's it's acoustic. It's down to earth. And that occurs in just, like, the last two triplets of each beat. Almost, but it's 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 almost... This is an odd observation, a very odd observation, but it feels like this is maybe the one moment where we have the most human rhythm possible.
0: Well, if my
1: warlike... Because enough. I don't... Well, I need to explain... Because that's not exactly... It, I almost don't quite hear this is in those, like, last two perfectly even triplets per beat. Um... Like, if you divide it up in threes, I would hear this on the last two, but it's not, it doesn't seem quite that perfect. It seems like it might be just like a semi, semi-quaver or something like that, just like a hair too late or a hair too early, and that is very out of character for this album.
0: Yeah, I mean, also, as a resolution goes, that, that human element that you might be hearing in this track, if we are to take my metaphor right or wrong... About this kind of war, this decimating war. This is that survival, that human who survived after the
1: giant battle. I thought you were going to go very simply to the idea that the track's titled "Son." Well, yeah, or it's the son of, son that, of that, uh, yeah, that people, that
0: people, the, the, that the, people, the, their the survivor, son. the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the lone son survivor. Yeah, I mean, the protocols. The Prodigal Son, that was the word I was like, well, I don't know. I feel like this track, of all the tracks on the record, was the most predictable and the most cliche feeling. Whether it was intentional or not, and for the arc, is not very fun. This is the... I just kind of went, I kind of sighed,
1: because I was like, oh, okay, well, this is cool, but, you know, I saw it coming. This is the second week in a row where I just can't I can't agree with you on the final track. Like, I don't see the, the giant cliche that you see. I see, perhaps, the same problems here that maybe I've seen in certain other tracks on this album... If you see it as being particularly uh um problematic in the last track for being the last track, yeah, then of course that would lend itself to being more of a cliche because it's the wrap up and we all are just so keen to to sniff out you know cliched wrap ups but i don't I don't think it's it's more problematic than any other track necessarily oh, I it don't has, think so it has either. some of the same pitfalls. I
0: think I have the same amount of problems for different reasons okay. on this track that's fair. I really
2: only have one complaint and it's the first time I really feel like I have a complaint in this album which is it feels a little bit too long. This is this is the only track, the only piece that to me I really was getting a little bit bored.
0: I mean I got a sense of that too. I felt it like dragged a little bit too. I would give but you it's, that Honestly, for me, this was the only track that did that. Well, yeah, and for me, I'd already made that complaint a few times. But I do feel like every time that it's dragged, it's not like, God, when's it going to end? It's no, just... he just wants to further exemplify that moment. And so you know it's. Let's reiterate it. Uh huh. And it gives you that, that, that kind of. It brings it to your attention without it actually being uh, a burden. You know, whereas in a lot of other tracks we've reviewed, you know, when something becomes repetitive, it's almost groan worthy. Like, come on, end.
2: Well, there's also the fact that he doesn't want this album to end. His own words, it's it's not the goal. You just want to look at the flight. That's what he's talking about, the actual movement. The point A to point B, well, you take away those two points and you just are looking at the arc Solon's arc. So maybe the track and the album itself shouldn't have a, a resolution to it. If right. you're taking it from an artistic argument, I mean, that's a pretty damn good argument while you shouldn't, while you shouldn't feel the track culminate.
0: Yeah, mm. I, I think that does make a lot of sense. I mean, considering the, the idea that it's, a, it's a, an arc of flight, having something so cliche, wrap-up-y kind of a track does detract from that overall arc theme. If that's where you were, I personally wasn't because I was more. Bef- I enjoyed this album a few times before I had his specific description, so I took it where I took it, not where he took it.
2: Yeah, actually, most of our observations were made prior to reading his press release for this album. Um, well
1: sure that was the point i made in the beginning is yeah. that you have to grapple with your impressions versus what he intended it to be and um uh, we did it in exactly the order i would ask anyone else to do it listen to the work and then read the the write-up because you need to really see how well it worked in the aftermath if it's just completely off base maybe he wasn't so successful yeah i think that's a fair point to make i feel like with artists who do this make
0: a before the album comes out or after we've made fun of certain artists for doing it too
1: much it's a very easy thing to do you could write something you could write your words to the music in the aftermath well that doesn't mean the inspiration was behind it that means you ascribe things like what it for instance we very often do sometimes maybe we're right sometimes maybe we're wrong it really is going to depend on the listeners On the listener in the end so whatever you write in your liner notes is really just for for fan service, and people who like to soak up knowledge about artists and concepts. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's time we get into the wrap-up, so
0: let's start figuring out where we are with this. Um, the first thing I want to say to John is that I'm so grateful you didn't bring us into the Deep Chord, because that's what I was afraid of. When you I, did. I did my best to
2: bring something in a similar artistic vein. To Boards as in, of Canada. To, to Boards of Canada. Yeah, Which you be, did. What I tried with Deep Chord. Uh, what I succeeded
0: almost with Aphex. But now I think I got it. Speaking of Aphex and those other bands that we've reviewed instrumental, I mean, it's hard to not compare to other instrumental albums we've done because we don't do as many instrumental albums as we do albums in song-lyric format. Um, but for this, for me, it's an interesting relationship I have with this record because now that I've listened to it a few times, I don't know, like I felt like Boards of Canada had more standout moments, like bigger moments, but as a whole, cohesively, this album pulled together a lot more than a lot of than 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 than, than Boards Canada did. Well, Boards was apocalyptic. Yeah, it was definably of... apocalyptic and almost on the we're nose in... that yeah. way. Yeah, and whereas this, it makes you think a lot more. I mean, we had a lot of disagreements that
1: weren't all wrong; they were all different. And we by also... the way, since he keeps referring to Boards of Canada, that's back in episode fifty-four, and the album we're referring to specifically is Tomorrow's Harvest. And I just feel like this one, to me, really, I, I connected a lot more to it
0: through all of it. I always, Or at least my mind was going more. I was creating these scenes, these scenarios, these movements, these motions. And I didn't really get that in everything in Boards of Canada. Um, but that said, this is not about comparing it. Let's focus on what we have here by Kang ding Ray. Um I think that it's very interesting how he really did weave these tracks so strongly together. This is the first time I really did have a strong sense of Arc and theme before I even came to the podcast, to our listening party that we do before every episode. I really didn't have something established in my head. It wasn't a realization we made here. We were all kind of on our own pages once we showed up, which is unique for us. Usually we do have a lot of aha moments listening together, which is what the group listen is designed for. I kind of had those, there were no real big aha moments. It was just kind of moving through understanding as I went. Um, I know Steve's going to speak a little more to what. Canting uh, Ray specifically said about this record, but for me, the arc and theme I created in my own head is pretty strong. And besides that, I don't know if I enjoyed the record specifically, but I was engaged in the record the whole time. And that was interesting to me because there was no moment where, even though there were moments where I felt that it was repetitive, there were no moments where I went, I'm out. I'm, 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 I'm got peace. I'm gone, guys. I'm done on this track. I never really left this thing that was created, this, this scene, this location. I was uh, immersed the whole time and I think that's important. And I did strongly emotionally collect, connect on several tracks, whether it was fear, realization, acceptance, denial. There were these emotions throughout the record and um, a fluidity too that can't be denied. So, you know, we mentioned liquid on multiple tracks. So I think for me, it stands at a solid 4, 4.25 for me. Um, I really did get invested. I think what it would have taken it to that 4.5 or higher is if I didn't actually step out even enough to say that it felt repetitive, even though it didn't remove me from the songs completely, I did acknowledge it. And if I were really truly immersed, I wouldn't have noticed the repetitiveness. So that's what hurts it a little for me. So what was it? So 4.25 for me. 4.25. It, it's a very strong record. I really like what he did. I don't know that I would get into this album a lot, but as an experience, I would definitely put it on from time to time.
1: Okay. Let me approach this in a way that we have avoided for the duration of the album. Discuss our impressions, and then discuss what it means from what the artist intended. I'm going to go with the what the artist intended first, and I'm specifically going to refer back to those liner notes that John read earlier on. I know it was a while ago, about an hour and a half ago, so in case you forgot, I'm, I'm gonna walk through these these words here and, and and actually address whether some of the things were actually accomplished. A stone throw just to watch it fly. So we have complete, for the sake of it right here, essentially, that's what this album feels like. I'm with it so far. A projectile launched for the sole purpose of drawing a ballistic trajectory in the sky. The Solon's arc is what remains after the subtraction of the goal. Goals which we, repeatedly, were trying to apply and add, though he mentions, subtract. Which is, it, it tells me that we're playing right into his hands. That we're trying to add goals and ascribe things to, to t- ballistic trajectories. And whoa, what is the ballistic trajectory? Is it warfare? Is it warfare? Is it, is it the arc of Civilization itself? We had a lot of theories here. In the end of the day, perhaps it's everything perhaps it's nothing. When you subtract the goal, he continues, all you're left with is a simple parabolic curve, defined by gravity, impulse, and starting angle. Just the angles that were present in the music itself. No target to hit, no catharsis to wait for. Just the beauty of the flight. The arc as the purpose in the form of four variations, which we had, constructed from disintegrated melodic textures and they were barely melodic to begin with, let alone having the chance to disintegrate and also dismantled beats, which we certainly felt, but sometimes they were more regular rather than dismantled. Each of the sequences are assembled seamlessly into dense, evolving compositions, while keeping their autonomy and their role in the global dramaturgy. Now, this is interesting, because here he does actually mention one of these goals. If you're considering the global dramaturgy, well, that's a very broad statement, but that intends to incorporate very much of the kinds of things that we would say. Perhaps not everything we said, and perhaps some things we did not say. But certainly in the global discourse, it's important. Pointillist serial loops morph into abrasive rave anthems broken club rhythms are refitted into uneven patterns like deconstructivist sound architectures now that is probably the biggest like like wtf in this in these entire liner notes but but read through it i mean this is like abrasive rave anthems. We frequently mentioned that there were certain moments on this album in which it started to sound just like generic techno. It slips. It slipped back into those, I'm going to say pitfalls at times. But then he mentions they're refitted into uneven patterns like deconstructivist sound architectures. Well, even though those three words are just, I'm going to throw out the word pretentious here, but maybe also <laughs> chalk it up to, uh, to poor translation. He's French or German. But, you know... I do see the idea. He's breaking down what should be something that's very digestible and very tried and true into something that really does have an artistic goal. All this is successful. And finally, industrial techno-stompers dissolve into granular sound waves and filtered space pads before being overtaken by cinematic drubs and rising arpeggios. Well, even though I believe the last line there is a little bit of a cop-out because it simply describes what goes on without necessarily applying the earlier artistic motive, it, it's still accurate. This is what occurred. Okay, great. You defined your work. <sighs> From there, I'm pretty much left with the idea that this is a ninety-five percent success in in terms of just describing arcs themselves. I mean, it's interesting how how frequently we go back to musical arc because we're always looking for the emotion that provide that it provides us, and he's actually just looking for 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 literal arcs the arc that we're left with and we're left to to associate and 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 interpret through the lens of physics in the known universe i mean that's one thing but then there's the other thing the musical arc that we do frequently which is what we ascribe and it's how we feel it's the emotion that we're left with and that's my segue ultimately for for the for the latter which was previously the former figure that out and that's ultimately our impressions. So forget the liner notes, forget everything I just mentioned and just think how do you feel during this piece? What did it accomplish for you? From an artistic standpoint, it it set out a goal which I don't think is going to reach everybody. I don't think everyone is always interested in just hearing well well arcs from various sources, but Matt's right on on one account, it made you think. It better it really better make you think. Y- you have to listen with an open ear. That's part of what being a a a Dedicated listener is all about, and being a keen listener, a uh, a critical listener. It's just important to take those things into account. But but what is he accomplishing for 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 the rest? What is he accomplishing for for those two spectrums that we laid out at the very beginning, which on one hand are you know. Are you going to dance to it? Are you going to groove along to this? Or are you just going to sit and think and really ponder? And then how successful is it from that perspective? It has these arcs, but sometimes I just don't feel the musical arc within it. It doesn't seem to make it enjoyable. It doesn't seem to provide the emotion. I know the emotion's not there. Subtraction of the goal. He puts it out there. He's not trying to provide emotion. It's a stone throw just to watch it fly. So all we have is just... That for the sake of it. It is a work of art for the sake of it. How much closer could you ever get to saying art for the sake of art? All this leaves me wildly confused. (laughs) Okay, well, guess what, Steve? We rate
0: stuff, so give it to us. Dramatic pause.
1: Boards of Canada was a four in my previous rating because of the fact that it explored in a post-apocalyptic world, but it was pretty it was pretty concise in that fashion and i'm going to repeat what you said well yeah this perhaps was not as concise but it does offer a little bit more for instance it's not just portraying a world it's portraying an idea that idea elusive as it may be is worth a solid point 2 no point 25 it's worth a solid quarter i i i love setting but i do love ideas to no i'm going exactly between 4 and 4.25 it is a 4.13 we're going to round yeah, yeah, up right, right. we're, we're right. going to do that really we're going to do that get two that. points no no we're only get two decimal points after the, I know. the number all right all right that's true hundredths. 4.13 <laughs> wow <laughs>
0: <laughs> again steve paving the way for new rating numbers <laughs> john we've said a lot there is something that's a little bit unsaid and that is
2: the fact that while we're ascribing a bunch of different ideas to so the arcs themselves, you contain the contain units here and trying to make up stories, well they are stories and I think we're running a little bit too far with the idea of the physical arc of the actual motion of an object that has been thrown because it's an allegory used continuously in so many other mediums itself. Story arcs, music arcs, just the idea of point A to point B. How do you get from point A to point B? We barred up a few times. Well, this is just pure description of that movement. It's not just arc, it's the movement of location, without the locations themselves, without a beginning or an ending. That's the distillation of this idea. And each, for me, each trio of tracks, each of the four different arcs presented here, does it. It really does it for me. Because I'm left wanting with endings. I'm left puzzling over settings at points. I'm left trying to figure out, well, who and what is doing things, and what are they doing? Well... By the second track of each of these songs, you can kind of get the idea of where they're going, and by the ending, you can kind of figure out what they're doing, but there's no resolution. It is so devious to leave a a, a person wanting so deeply to have a resolution and just never giving it to you. I love it. I love that idea. Musically, it, it stays within very safe realms, but it does so much with those very... Defined and even tones, that I, I, it's it's hard to to fault it for that. The layering is masterful, but maybe some more actual experimentation with the instruments, with with tones, maybe maybe that would have really put it into upper echelon ideas. Maybe a little bit more definition or even a little bit less definition. Taking a little bit more of a step back so that we're not going, oh, it's war, or oh, it is a river, or maybe it's this or that or the other thing. Maybe those little bit—those expansion of those ideas or the extraction of those ideas could have done this uh, a a service to really put it into near-five territory. Because as art, it's hard— to argue, I mean, it does accomplish so
1: much in that respect. I do have to interject just to comment on your idea, your concept of, of an arc that doesn't necessarily satisfy you as as being just as powerful as an arc that of course provides the traditional resolution but mm-hmm. the arc that I'm I was ascribing to it that I claimed that it did not have necessarily was, it the was is it is not implying that arcs need to have musical resolution i'm simply saying that there are there are certain tracks in here that i think could have been done out of order i don't think you would have noticed i think we would have simply ascribed different things on it i think I, there's yeah, there's, see, I would argue there's displacement in this record and, I would and argue things that. he gets away with as a result that's it yeah i wouldn't i don't see that Oh, okay, I don't see some of the length problems
2: you guys have, not but I'm, I'm problems, not, you know, just well, with the individual tracks, problems. individual tracks. We, we, you two did say a couple of things were a little too long. I, I don't see many much of that until Sun, the final track. But it's it's almost it's almost a last little shot in the eye of just uh, is it going somewhere? Is it going somewhere? Nope. Well, you know what? It's art, and <laughs> that that. That's it. It really does distill this is a true art album. But it, it doesn't quite reach those upper levels. I'm I'm right on board with the two of you. Um, it's a four two five. It's it's straddling the line of what of the artistic expression that Boards did with the, the catchiness and the immersion that Aphex was able to do. And both of those were in the same category. They were both for me around a four two five, if not exactly that. And I would rank this up there as far as both the combination of enjoyment and um, thought provoke how how thought provoking it is. It's it straddles between exactly what those two did for me, so
1: I really can't separate it from that category, from that level. I think there's a safeness in his brilliance. Yeah, I would agree. I think we're all kind of agreement in
2: that. This you is his fourth it. album and he keeps doing and I've seen some of his actual physical artwork he keeps going the extra little distance, and people are ranting and raving that this was the most experimental and the most out there. I'm, I'm kind of afraid what he's going to be in like in 10, 15 years, and still trying to push the envelope, still trying to refine it. That might be like some
1: truly effed up stuff. And I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm scared, but I'm kind of hoping for it too. Yeah. <laughs> his, I mean, that, that safeness will keep it from upper echelon to me, as we as Matt said. Up Aha moments are so important, but that's yeah. clearly not what his goal is here. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's just the, the aha moments are the things that are born out of out of brilliance, serendipity, and and also a lot of hard labor. Some of this, I think, I think was a I think was a a natural experiment of more of a, it was a thesis. It was a thesis. Absolutely. And that idea is worth that four point uh, two five because you will never hear it done again. Right. Actually, four point two five or four point three. We're pretty much, we're all pretty much the same territory. It's no big deal. So um, so yeah, there you are from there i guess we'll go to a little topic that i i i hinted at toward the beginning of of this album and that's of course the case what we were dealing with is the idea that it's a vi- it's almost a visual art piece in the visuals that you get as a result of this right mm-hmm. even if that visual is just what he he put forth the simple ballistic art it's yeah. something it's something to look at and there's a visual art piece within it. He, of course, it helps that he himself is a visual artist and is capable of of, of very, very intriguing things that are all over his website, um, machines that, that are art in themselves, and there's so much, you know, cross-pollination here with just what this is, which is machine in the music, and it got me thinking about, you know, well, a certain discussion we were having before the podcast, which is was a line between, let's say, a visual art piece and what we traditionally call the music video, where the music is the initial spark. And then, it, as it took quite a long time before we actually started, you know, laying visuals to it. Of course, earlier than what we, we see as the traditional music video, which is like an art piece incorporating a visual element to the music element, we had other examples where they were integrated. Like, for instance, the musicals that you'd get back in the 30s that were very... Uh, very grand and 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 experimenting with interesting um, with interesting directing styles like you'd establish an array of dancers in a circle and then put the camera on the ceiling and look down at the array of dancers doing kind of like raquette esque moves. And they were far more elaborate because, of course, you now have the ability to change where the viewer is via the camera location. Their eyeball perspective. The eyeball is above. It's below. It's it's through glass. It's through water. Fascinating things were done back then, but it was never applied to let's say individual uh, or broad form broad art forms like like singles, like albums, until like the sixties and seventies. Then we get our traditional music video, where always the music video seems to be the supplement to the music itself, which should easily be a standalone thing, you shouldn't need the video, but it's nice to have it, and it just will take you to that extra level. But then there's the flip side, and this is, of course, what visual artists have been doing for a while now, um, incorporating a musical element into their visual work. And in those cases, often the goal is really more about the visual sensations that the that the the visual work of art is is providing you, and then the music is meant to kind of guided along like a perfect example i would have in the flip flip side would be the kind of work that we saw from the quay brothers back in let's say the 1980s they were these big guys in clay animation claymation right they would do a lot of model work and they would have it's like stop motion they would be filming this and of course you see their characters they're very very macabre figurines moving around and, and performing very macabre acts but in the background, you would always have this extra oomph, which was the audio element that seemed to set the stage a little bit. And he would use lots of, uh, they would use classical pieces like Janacek and that sort of thing. But where is the line between each? If it's simply the impetus of one to the other, then where is the mi- middle ground? And what's, when does one cross the line? I mean, I think it depends. You mentioning
0: perspective is very important because I think perspective on the, topic is also really important. I mean, also with music videos, there's been a lot of change to them with the YouTube generation. A lot of people have access to music and videos and artists that they might not have had before the internet age. I mean, what sparked me bringing up music videos in the first place is, um, Knockjaw, not very frequently mentioned on the podcast, um, introduced me to a band this past week that I've since become kind of obsessed with. But what hooked me was a music video he suggested called Ghosts by Mystery Skulls. And what was interesting about this music video, typically a music video created by the artist has either a narrative or a visual or whatever that ascribes to the song. The song Ghosts is about someone fading away and becoming a ghost, which in a dance song is more of an ethereal, not very narrative thing. But the animated music video that a fan of the Mystery Skulls created, that I liked better than the official music video had this whole narrative story within the song that for a moment you almost forget about the song and you're just watching the story and the story the music is just a dialogue for that music
1: video which is interesting to me that's fascinating because i think i had the exact opposite reaction with the example i just brought up uh, with the quay brothers mm-hmm. um a friend of mine who who was very much into visual art and uh, and and sculpture, right? She went to Yale for art, so she's she's very much in in the conversation. And I just out of the blue thought to act, thought to bring up the Quay Brothers. It's like, oh, have you have you heard of them? You know? And of course, she she just jumped on. it. She's like I love the Quay Brothers. They're they're one of my favorites. I've been following them for years. And then I I thought thought just to sort of like enter this in with a little bit of bonding. Well, it's just like, what what did you feel about this particular video? And uh, and the the use of music in it. Interestingly, she did not notice the music. The music at all. Yeah. For her, that was a visual art piece, and the music was so secondary. For me, honestly, it took control. Yeah. I had the I had the the experience where the music was almost more like all right i'm watching i'm watching the 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 visuals take place and of course you have to see it to uh to believe it just search any anyone who's listening just search quay brothers on on youtube and you'll see a whole slew of videos to get you started at least on what they've they've been doing for the last uh 30 years and they definitely i know that their goal is probably more visual and that the music was sometimes an afterthought but in that case, it boils down to more perspective. If you are maybe a more musically minded person than visual art, for instance, I never went to school for visual art. I'm the antithesis of her. I went to school for music. I could barely draw a circle, but like, it's this, you know. So naturally, there's probably some things that are to get me more than others. Not that I'm not intrigued by watching, but certainly there's just these moments in the music where I felt I, I felt the artist's goal in timing there. And that's the kind of things that you can do with music that you can't necessarily do with art is, is incorporate timing. Those peaks and valleys and, for instance, the things we were lacking today, those aha moments, that when they sync up with the visual, that's going to just, you know, blow your mind in a certain way. I couldn't imagine anyone viewing these types of videos without listening to the musical component.
2: Well, it all depends on the order in which a product is produced. I think that that can be one of the defining factors on whether it's going to be one side or the other. If you decide on a visual scene work and then try to find or create the music for it versus you're creating uh, music and then trying to find an animator or a framework or a director that fits that vision can be very defining for the pieces itself, for what we get in these combinations. Um, But on a side note, I'm gonna talk a little anecdote. One of my favorite things to find on YouTube nowadays um, is like music videos and other things from favorite, like like my favorite songs. Like what are people doing with these pieces? And one of uh, the common ones, which I immediately went to when we started talking about this, was a speaker with water on it. The vibration of that actual sound translated to water is when I see it kind of magical in some ways, especially for the guys that really go all the distance and do it in a really interesting way. It's the actual sound being shown in this interaction with the physical world. That might be my favorite idea of marrying the visual and the audio together, purely from just an artistic idea showing the physical changes to the world
1: around that the audio is doing. And that wasn't a work done by today's artist, David Letelier? Uh, or that was something no. separate? It was just no, very interesting. No, no, interesting It's just
2: random videos I
1: found, and some of them are really, really powerful, really magical when you get down to it. It's just because of how he describes what he does, you know, as an attempt to express sound as a form in movement. It, it seems like the kind well, of he thing He would be up in his alley. Uh, he's, he's a lot crazier than that. In
2: his ilk. Yeah. I've I've only touched the surface of the sort of things he does in the physical
0: spectrum, and it's really wicked pieces. Well, I think that, like, a lot of art, there are things that are definably A or B, which we talk about a lot. Then I think
1: I like, like, where John is, where it's kind of in the middle. Like, I mean, it's all... That's like, why I love the Quay Brothers, and I often say that, you know, well, like the way I... I musicals are often, you know... They, they go right up the same alley. I've said this about musicals before, just like I, I hinted about, um, about the musicals that were done in the 30s. Well, the bigger musicals that were done more recently, obviously on Broadway and turned into uh, full- on films out of Broadway plays like West Side Story Fiddler on the Roof, These are the kind of things that I find that they walk the middle because you can't have one without the other. If, if I feel like you're missing the point, if you go into these musicals and you miss, um, you miss a certain song or consider it' secondary on the grand musical i think that's that's an important thing to um uh to incorporate on the lesser perhaps like musicals that perhaps just are not as known i understand that there's a lot of cases where people just can't watch musicals because they see it as as an interruption in their story well for them maybe they're visual pieces maybe they're narrative type people i mean it could be but also we were talking about this a little bit off the air and sarah mentioned
0: that the stronger musicals succeed when the narrative is seamless with the music. Yeah. And, and I, like you mentioned Fiddler on the Roof, which I just happened to watch recently. Um, our guest, Painless Parker, his um, fiance is converting to Judaism when they get married. And so there's been a lot of talking about culture and new stuff. And we mentioned Fiddler on the Roof. It's one of the most famous musicals, especially when it talks about Jews and culture, you know, especially in that town and what's going on. And so, and it's, a very popular musical just flat out in its own right so we rewatched it recently and the story is so strong that you don't even notice the music sometimes and that's like you notice the music but you don't notice the they are born
1: out of the narrative yeah like and and, and when he, he sings "If I Were a Rich Man," it's not just a ditty; it's his longing. It's you're seeing the the, the aspirations, and it's his you're seeing the aspirations of, in the end, a very small man in the grand of, in the grand scheme of things. Yes. The town is is small; they're poor and pitiful, and they're being flushed out. Yeah, and and so every single song serves to to show they show their 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 small, sometimes petty customs. You know, matchmaker, matchmaker, find me a match. Okay, they're focused on that in the in the in the shadow of the much bigger thing in that they're being flushed out of their town. That duality is very, very important. Again, you have to be aware of all these things. True, though, and we do go back to perspective, not everyone is as keen. Sure. And, I mean, if we're going to talk stuff like Fiddle on the Roof, I mean, the whole
2: realm of of, uh, more music-oriented movies in general, I mean, we've talked a lot. About uh, specific pieces like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, way back when we were doing our favorite compositional or scores or just con- uh, compo- uh, composers, composers, things like that. Back in the early year, uh, early years of this podcast, I mean, we were talking things like Sucker Punch and stuff like that. Frankly, when I'm thinking about it, it just I can't remember the soundtrack that well. To what? Things like Scott Pilgrim
0: versus the world. Oh, I remember perfectly. Song for song, note for note. Can you remember the I remember, soundtrack? I remember quite a bit. Without the visuals. Yes. Can you remember the
2: visuals without the soundtrack? Yes. Okay, see, I can't do that. If but I'm thinking of the. I, actual... I actually
1: think that was a success for me. Even though I'm not as, like, video game oriented, that was definitely a success. I heard it in FYE the other day, and I was, like, brought right back to the scene in the movie and could list it separately. It was working. Yeah. Right. See, I... for
2: me, I can't really. Divert one from the other. When I'm thinking of the visuals, I can think of the visuals. But when I'm thinking of the music, I can't help but think of the
0: visuals. See, for me, the soundtrack was created in such a way for that movie specifically, and it's why I will sometime in the future, because I did a feature teasing it, do my article on comparing the music and the movie of Scott Pilgrim together. I think it was a brilliantly set up soundtrack. A because the animator, uh, the the artist who. Uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, who's responsible for Scott Pilgrim, um, the writer and creator, those bands that Scott's either wearing a t-shirt of or in the comics he's wearing a t-shirt of are bands that he actually liked growing up in Toronto. And so they are so rooted in the story of that movie. But the songs themselves, on their own right, are great songs that stand out. And I think that's where that kind of dichotomy for me marries them
1: and also separates them for me. And I'll get more into that when I eventually write that article. True, and then I guess uh, just because it's topical, and we were having this discussion a little bit earlier as well, um, in terms of, like, you know, the TV musical or the TV-friendly musical, something that's popular lately on ABC is is, is Gallivant. And, you know, it pursues... First of all, you have to be aware of the fact that it's pursuing a kind of a cliché. Yeah. You know, it's a cliché from the beginning. In fact, you hear that in the opening track. It's just like, it's a, it's a a it's a storybook cliché. You know, it's in the music. They know what they're doing. But, of course... It's that's like that T V attempt to follow every trendy thing. Well it's you know? also
0: they're winking very heavily at the camera constantly. It's a commentary
1: on the events instead of a narrative right. push. But the funny thing, and I'm not you know, I still don't know exactly where I like lean on it. I think it, because it's very friendly, family friendly, I'm not I'm not really eyeballing it too much, but I understand what it was trying to pull, and that of course was the spoof on the poorly done musical. Yeah. The idea that the music is awkwardly awkwardly yanking you from the narrative right and each and every each and every piece of music in this show galavant seems to follow the same exact thing it's like they know what they're doing and they they make a big joke out of it it's constantly the 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 butt of the entire show so you know, it's almost just like today's album. It's, it's, it's the exact same concept. I see what it's doing. It might fail a little bit in the, in the process because it's just so on point with its satire that it successfully puts me in the failed musical rather than perhaps creating something that was enormously clever as a result. So, you know, fascinating little lines we draw between successes and failures. There's also, like, Glee. Oh, my God. I tried really hard to get into that TV show.
2: Like, really hard, because this is a great concept. Take music and try to tell a story with it. But the problem is they were taking music and shoehorning a story to fit the music. Or vice versa, trying to make the song fit what the story was trying to uh, convey. It's great music. It was an okay story, but they were separate elements and really one detracted from the other as you're watching it.
1: Well, I'm not incredibly versed on Glee, but I do I do kind of I feel did watch that it first, was, it was pursuing maybe even the progenitor of the same gallivant notion. Like, it was just trying to do the same thing, but in a high school environment. I mean, I, I did watch over the first season. Did you find it successfully I,
2: satirical? I, I couldn't stay with it. I just couldn't stay with it because it was trying to be a little bit too much of a satire. It was trying to be too heavy in the irony when they're using certain songs, too heavy in on the nose when they're using other songs. I mean, it was it was going not for drama, but for drama, like the big overture, Tour, which well, high for school. music and for high school, both, honestly, that is perfect. If you want high drama, if you want a lot of emotion,
1: high school, music, seems like a match made in heaven, didn't, just just didn't jive with me. I still have to go back to satire on each front though. In each case it was trying to do something clever by 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 shoehorning it, just as you put it. If you shoehorn it in, well then you're kind of commenting on how poorly it is done by other forms of art, which may have really intended that it would not be as noticeable. But in these cases I do believe it was intentional. It's just like, well, is that your is that your type of, of is that your shtick? Is that your type of humor? Are you gonna get your kicks out of watching something like that? Um, much like, let's say, I would enjoy watching an MST3K, you know, because right. of how they set, like, you gotta love the bed, you know.
0: Right, well I mean, in that point, it, it's laughing at something because it's terrible, which we all do for certain reasons, but it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a tricky bridge to cross when you've made the fourth Scorpion King movie as a gag, and it's purposely terrible. Do people really care at that point? You know, it's that kind of a thing. Yeah. I'll,
2: I'll, I want to admit something. I'm not a big fan of Mystery Science Theater anymore? Both um, well, been off for like fifteen years. I know, I know, but I can't even rewatch the stuff, even though I loved it growing up. I don't know why. Oh, that's a shame. I just,
1: gotta,
0: I just gotta say, I'm not a fan anymore. That's a real shame. Yeah. That's a shame because you we are of alone because we are
1: totally on still on board with it. We are I guess we are, just are not friends. Work. I don't yeah. like people talking to. We my saw it in the theater several times. That's right. I will <laughs> see I will see Joel and and Mike as many times as possible. And yep. Crow and and Crow.
0: Um, I think what we're saying here, instead of a summation, I I present this. I would love for anyone listening, if you made it this far, which we love when you do. um, Because today was rough. (laughs) Today was long. Um, It was a long review. But if you made it this far, please tweet or comment on Facebook with the hashtag, What's Your Art? And tell us, what's your music art? Like, Where do you stand with this? Where do you stand with your perspective of... Is it a visual promoted with music, or is it a music video that blends with the music? I'm curious what other people, how their perspective lays, because I think it can also be very heavily influenced on your personal perspective on
1: it. That is the ultimate, I think, conclusion of this discussion, if there is one personal perspective, is the ultimate key. It was true for that with me and my friend, and it was true for you and Jose. It's, a perspective is going, to, is going to guide just about everything in the end. perspective from the artist perspective, Artist perspective and fans' perspective. So tweet at us or comment on
0: Facebook, Tumblr, and let us know what you think. You can ask us a question on the Tumblr account as well. So let us know. Um, let us go. So we have an unfortunate truth this week. No fan mail. Um, though we appreciate all the attention we've gotten and thank you all for reaching out and continue to do so um, in the emails we have mentioned or other social medias I've mentioned ad nauseum. But So we're going to go back to our faithful spam emails. Spam. Sp- spam because they, they don't stop hounding us. So Steve, take it away. All
1: right. One of the huge benefits of digital photography is that apart from the initial cost of the camera, there is practically no cost involved. Contact the owner, find out their hourly rates, and visit the facilities. Just learn the lesson in your everyday experiences. If you fail, then don't quit. If you fail, then don't quit. Huh. Fascinating word choice. And this was by? This was by How to Take Better Photos. Well, that seems to make sense. Yeah. I was on a picture of Nelson logo.
0: <laughs> well, you know,
1: he's very photogenic. So. You know what? Let's give this guy... <laughs> Apparently guys, not. no can <laughs> take better Give photos. this guy's
2: email to Nelson, because that,
1: that's mean. That and he should mean. say that something. That is mean. I like analyzing. I missed this. <laughs> 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 photo, photo 72D needs to be improved.
0: And uh, we kick it back to Steve immediately because he's picking our album for yes, next week. Yes,
1: I am. All right. right. has been a long time coming, too. Long time coming. There are, every once in a while, those few bands that we follow for a long, long time, and certainly which predate Monstrous Podcasts in which we review every single album and dissect it one note at a time. Mm. Uh, I've been listening to The Decembrists for... I'm going to say since 2004. So a decade. Yep, a decade. A solid decade. They had about three albums out at the time. Um, no, not quite. Two albums out at the time. They had Castaways and Cutouts, their debut, 2002. Absolutely loved it. They had Her Majesty, 2003. Absolutely loved it. Um, maybe it was 2005 that I got into them because that's when they came out with Picaresque and I, to, I recall that lining up perfectly. Absolutely loved that album. I look, eagerly looked forward to their 2006, The Crane Wife. I absolutely loved it, in fact had one of my favorite tracks of all time, the second track, The Island, a three-part masterpiece that amounted to about 12, 12 minutes in just one track. Oh, aha moments abound. And then they came out in 2009 with Hazards of Love, a concept album, the perfect culmination for what the Decemberists had been doing all those years it everything at their entire shtick made apparent in in a, in a vast storyline that guess what featured shower warden of my brightest diamond crossovers abound and then they came out with king is dead king is dead 2011 a slight bit decline for me because it was a little poppier but i still enjoyed it in fact it, it it kind of had this resurgence with me i just i i grew in love with it more by just it being them and I realize that's a little bit of a cop-out. Again, pre-Crash Chords days. <laughs> Got to address that. But still, it's, it's, it's Colin Malloy. I love his voice. I lo- It's Jenny on the organ. It's everything that the Decemberist had. And it was present. Who cares if it's pop? It's just going to be my kind of pop. That's going to be a natural truth. And so now here we have a new album. It was released just this year. It's a, it's a 2015 album. We haven't had many of those yet because it's still early on. And this album is called "What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World." This is a very intriguing title. I've heard things about this album. I don't know how I'm going to take it yet. I just know that for the most part, aside from the slight turn, the have never done me wrong, and they're on, the only band that I have ever been able to cite as a entire discography band. Like, I could, I could dip into any song, I'm going to enjoy it just because it's them. And just because they, their stick is as defined as ever and as, and as refined as ever.
0: Well, I will say that I have heard the first single from the record, and I did really enjoy it. I also liked the music video because it featured um, Nick Offerman of Parks and Rec fame. Um, hmm. So I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and there was a sense of macabre humor that they've had in the past in the video which i enjoyed oh of course so um babies lying in gutters and such you know so we will well a cautionary song is actually often covered by the wasties which is not a family-friendly song but uh -hmm. but it's still fun to hear uh molly and sarah sing nonetheless um well, I look forward to hearing it. I've been holding off because I knew we would be doing it, and I've become a, a more recent fan of their work, although I do like the history of their work. Um, I started with The King is Dead, so I'm more favorable to that because I started with it, mm-hmm. but I like the older stuff, too. Anyway, I think this is a fantastic point. Wait. What? You two get to talk about it. <sighs> Fine, John. I've never really recognized
2: December's songs. I really can't pick them out from a lineup, so I'm doing something that Steve did for me. I'm going to be just freaking powering through their entire discography in preparation of this album um i have to give him that he's been talking about this almost as long as i've been talking about weezer so i
0: mean i gotta give him the respect of that right steve, steve so, might be able to do a supercut of him saying the decemberists
2: possible the
1: decemberists the decemberists possible i'm just i'm just not as on i i don't know he wouldn't do that to <laughs> him because it's his job to
2: do
0: all those cuts in the bloopers. So he, That's true, because we don't yeah. do this. That's
1: true. I get the final say in the comedy. You do. Or yeah. the riffing, as it were. Um, <laughs> there you
0: go. But anyway, thank you for joining us for another week. We look forward to the Dem- December's next week. And on that note, remember, music is life. And, and life is good. <laughs>